0: Hi everyone, this is Off Meta, a podcast about Star Wars, X-Wing, and anything I really care about. I'm Steven, aka Raythos, your host, and today I'm joined by Josh Dirksen. Josh is most well-known to the X-Wing community as the creator of the co-op campaign Heroes of the Atari Cluster, or HOTAC, one of the most well-known and enduring pieces of alternative content in X-Wing ever made. Josh himself is a successful board game designer, working on a number of games from well-known properties like Star Trek to his own IP, uh, Snapship Tactics. So Josh, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Hey, not bad. Nice to be here. Yes. Um, we are both Toronto natives. so I've known Josh for, well, i don't Josh. Well, I mean, I'm not exactly
1: Toronto either from greater Toronto area. Um, yeah, I, I lived there for 14 years. I'm in London, Ontario now. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically, it's still not Toronto. far, <laughs> it's just more affordable. Really? Yes. Yes. Um, but like,
0: you know, we were sort of the same kind of group. I've known of you for a long time. I haven't actually, we don't, we didn't actually talk very much. Uh, I think we maybe met once in real life. Um,
1: I think, yeah, we definitely met at some PTL function. I don't think you and I have ever played X-Wing. No, never played x I X-Wing. certainly remember meeting you probably at like a PTL open or something. Like, uh, I feel like there was one year where I went just to hang out with all the organizers and everybody. And then mm-hmm. the the drinking afterwards and then i think i think i just brought a camera i just photographed people's like lists and stuff yeah i think that was the year we met because i know i think were you ever a member of ptl you must have been yes yes yeah. was definitely i think that was probably after probably after i was playing regularly yeah because i kind of i kind of wound down a bit around 2016. right that's I when know, i was i don't know how active that's when I was picking up. So you were winding down. Yeah, I was picking that would up, right? that explains it. Yeah, yeah. So um, and and the reason for that is Lindvander Studios.
0: Right, <laughs> right. So you were making your own game studio and, and all that. Yeah. Um I just find it funny because uh uh since since we briefly met, I had gone on to become very like notable within X Wing. And then you were obviously very notable within X Wing as you were leaving. So it's like two of the most like no, I mean that's a little bit that's a little bit um egotistical. But two of like two <laughs> very influential people in the game happen to be in the same city but never actually met each other. Like not not properly. Yeah, right? ships in the night. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it's really great. And one of the things about this podcast that I've always wanted to do is wanted to be able to have an excuse to have conversation with people that were interesting to me or notable in the industry or notable in X-Wing. Um, and you've ticked all those boxes and also were, like, I needed an excuse to, like, say hello. Because it's like, you know, <laughs> I could just go, like, you know, hey, we haven't ever talked. We should probably talk, right? But that's like, I'm, yeah, like, too antisocial to, like, open up a conversation that way. So I needed, I needed to construct an entire,
1: like, yeah. structure so that we could have this conversation, right? Um, sure. I mean, that works for me. I just usually pick a game. I say, hey, you want to play a game? You want to play this thing? yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. my that's my onboarding vehicle yeah that's way easier oh, yeah, I than you. what I did
0: I <laughs> um but no I'm, I'm really happy that we're able to talk uh I know that you and I have a yeah. lot of like similar interests and I know that you're connected enough with x-wing that I feel like everyone will want to hear what we have to say so I'm really happy to to have this conversation yeah. let's um, hope so let let's start out with the obvious question um
1: you don't play x-wing anymore uh, the last time I played x-wing was during the pandemic okay I was it was uh, it was during like the two weeks I took off over Christmas in like 2022 I think okay. and I just busted out like a handful of x-wings and tie fighters and played against the current printing of the heroes of the Aturi cluster AI. Oh. I just gave myself like a little rebel squad and just played against some tie fighters and just shot the crap out of them. okay uh, uh, mostly I think I lost three ships or something. Okay, that's pretty it was pretty rough, but uh, that was the last time I, I've played X Way actually. Before that, I think it would have been ooh, 2019, maybe. I remember playing okay 2.5 at Snakes and Lattes Midtown in Toronto, okay. I think, with Devin and a few other guys from the PTL. Okay, the, okay, the prototype Toronto league, if you will.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Um okay so like it's been a while you don't really play that often anymore um the the long tail of X-Wing has basically you know peppered through all of your professional work since since Hotac I think like a lot of it yeah I think so I feel like I feel like the, the things that you learned while you were doing and tell me if I'm wrong here but the things that you learned while doing Hotac have like really formed a good foundation for a lot of the future projects that you work on, whether they're like spaceship combat related or not. Um, Cause like, you know, you did AI design and narrative campaign stuff and like, and all of that is kind yep. of like, I think bled into the projects that you've worked on since.
1: I think people are fairly consistent in the kinds of games that they like. Mm-hmm. And heroes was really just an expression of the style of game. I really like to play. Right um that was like co-op rpg oh x-wing is a good fit for this i mean i had well going way back this was probably what year did x-wing come out 2012 i think 2012 yeah uh r5 dawn 4 if you know that guy that's a person he was like I, i used to i used to play star wars miniatures with him at 401 games when they were still downtown in toronto yeah and uh he I went to this little sleepy little convention in Hamilton with him once he had moved out of the city and was living in Hamilton, called ha- literally called HammerCon, yes. and uh, to do some Star Wars miniature stuff with him and do some some board game stuff. And the last day of the convention is a little you know weekender con. On the Sunday, he's like, "Oh, I'm throwing an X-wing tournament. This this new miniatures game by Fantasy Flight, like yes. it's pretty cool. I think you'll like it. Here's a list. Come play. Okay. You know, I know you've never played it before. Come play in this little casual tournament." Um, and I, I don't think I won. I think I, I think I lost in the final. It was like eight or 12 people. And it was like pretty clearly swept it. And he was like, oh yeah, you're good at this game. Like <laughs> just, just, just get on board. You'll, you'll love it. It's Star Wars. Just like this other Star Wars game we used to play. We played play Star Wars minis, but,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: that was, yeah. A long time ago. That was a long time ago. And I think. So Star Wars miniatures before that and before that I played Yu-Gi-Oh competitively and before that I was a kid <laughs> who made all kinds of games using toys I had at home. Right. So I used to have when I when I was a kid I had you know those um those like floppy notebooks they would give you in grade school to like do all of your homework in. Absolutely. Yeah. I used to have a box full of those that were just game design because the school year would be over, and I would trim out all the pages that had schoolwork in them, right, and then I would course. just go and write like original game design concepts and stuff, yes. rule sets for like, you know, playing war games with Lego and mm-hmm. uh, micro machines were a big one. Because I actually had, I wonder if I could find that somewhere. There is a notebook that has a rule set for playing something vaguely X Wing ish with Star Wars micro machines. Wow. So yeah, and. When I remembered that this existed, I was like, Huh, I tried to make X Wing and then someone just made a better X Wing and then I just bought it. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Well, you know, you know, you maybe you should go fish that out because I'm sure I'm sure in there somewhere is a pitch that you could make to micro machines about converting their their toys into a uh, a miniatures game. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um anyways.
0: That's that's a fun joke that we'll come back to later. Yeah, you'll yeah, see yeah. why. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, all right. So you started X-Wing back in the, back in the early days. This is, this is, that's interesting yeah, for me. Because
1: that was that's... literally the beginning of wave one. I played X-Wing when you couldn't get a core set because they were short allocated. Oh, interesting. What's that like? So like, I that was, those were weird days, man. There were, there were two lists in the meta. You were playing TIE Fighters or you were playing four X-Wings or some combination thereof.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Um, Th- yeah. Did four four X wings versus like eight ties. Did people complain about
0: the meta back then?
1: No, I don't think so. Okay. People kind of knew in their hearts that Darth Vader wasn't very good in wave one, but they couldn't explain why. Sure. He was just wasn't as good as Luke or Wedge, and you're like, Yeah. Eh. He, he, he definitely just Howl runner and TIE Fighters. Yes. Um, and and yeah, that was just like four X Wings, man, points efficiency. So much better than eight Tie Fighters. <laughs> um, so re- but that was re- a lot of like, like they they did this whole wacky thing when X Wing first came out because it was short allocated. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, you couldn't buy a corset because they were scooped up, and a lot of people, even the prevailing wisdom now, if you were going to tell someone to get into the game, is like, well, maybe not now because of the second 2.5 AMG stuff, but like the prevailing wisdom for a long time was you want double corset just for the extra rulers and tokens and dice and all of that so that was true even when the game came out in 2012 Mm -hmm. so it was really hard to get core sets for a while you could get single ships but the stock kind of wasn't great there either so it was kind of amazing Mm -hmm. if you could like find a y-wing in the wild Mm -hmm. um and then when wave two was announced so that was uh the a-wing the tie interceptor slave one and the millennium falcon uh they had not been able to make enough of them to catch up with or meet demand. So they did this whole thing where they had these like, they're kind of like store championship tournaments yeah. where the finals would be played with like, basically like a draft. You'd use preset lists from prize stock. Okay. And then at the end of that game, uh, in tournament order, you draft wave two ships. So oh. like, this is, how I, this is how I got a Millennium Falcon because they weren't even in retail yet. I had a Millennium Falcon for a while before they were like available available so they were in tournament then, kits
0: to get their ships it was works.
1: it was sort of it was sort of treated like a tournament kit yeah but basically it was like this kit this tournament plays like eight people and there's enough models in here for everyone to take one home you just get okay. draft order if okay and, and, you now it's meant to be an so eight that, player event. that's
0: wild that's like that's like magic like pre-release tournaments yeah right like you just like here. the and that product. was pretty
1: short-lived because like it wasn't too long until they were able to catch up and meet demand. And then that stuff was everywhere. And then they didn't, they didn't do it again for any of the subsequent waves. It was really just like a marketing angle for the fact that the game is catching like a wildfire and we cannot meet demand. How do we, how do we do this? Right, right.
0: Find an alternative way to build inventory essentially.
1: Yeah, I guess, or just get, you know, keep, keep the interest in the game alive. So it doesn't just flame out in a year or whatever. Right, right, right. Crazy.
0: Um, and then, you know, you, you mentioned that you you built uh, Hotek because of games you wanted to play. But, like, was the drive that you just wanted to, to exist and it just didn't? Or, like, was there other uh, outside influence that, like, prompted you? Like, what's uh, the story behind how Hotek started?
1: Yeah. Um, so, early days, PTL, there, there were a few people. Uh, they probably dropped out of PTL kind of even before I did. So we're talking like 20, 2014-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, wave 3 or 4 has just come out. So about mm-hmm. half of the original content from Wave 1 is available. We just got the Tide Defender, I think. It was like the, the new hotness, the mm-hmm. Defender and the Phantom. And um, I don't even remember what else was in that wave. Everything else, those are the memorable ones.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but that stuff had just come out x-wing was super popular there were like lots of store events there were probably regularly getting 10 to 12 people showing up on like friday night to play Mm x-wing at um meeple mart downtown in toronto back when they still had open gaming space before they filled it entirely with shelves for product um so we would go on friday night and we would play you know get 12 12 or even sometimes 16 people playing x-wing it was pretty amazing uh friend of mine uh whose name is grish put together a website called docking bay 416 which yep. was supposed to be our like club like file repository basically that was it was publicly visible like you had all kinds of you would yep. post articles and all kinds of stuff he just wanted to make some content and i was helping him kind of do some some stuff on the back end for the site and, and did a little bit of content here and there and then at one point he showed me this word doc that he had been like chipping away at that was like i don't know three or four pages it was this bare bones idea for like his twist on or his take on like a campaign system for x-wing okay and at this point like i've done a little bit of noodling with game design and like i'm really into game design like podcasts and reading up on it a lot and i've just finished my my university degree where i did a board game as my fourth year project (laughs) to get my graphic design degree so like i'm i'm pretty immersed in this whole game design as a you know philosophy and workflow and all this stuff so he shows me this this three-page word doc and i go i like the idea of this but you've left so much of it uh as just sort of like half-baked nicole's notes for a game master to kind of take this gm it run it you know like a sandbox and provide most like the gm's left to do most of the legwork this document is pretty bare bones Mm -hmm. and also in my experience having done lots of games like this for my own rule sets when i was a kid playing with my friends in grade school i i'm the guy with the game engine and all the stuff so i'm the guy running it like man it'd be great it'd be great if i didn't have to be the person running this campaign because i'd love to play in a campaign like this who's going to run it if it's all completely sandbox and they got to make it all up Mm -hmm. so i said well what if what if you could make the game cooperative what if you could have an automated opponent that would just run the game against you and about around this time i think i had played i'd started playing more board games like i was actually playing Mm -hmm. a number of board games as well as x-wing and i had a bunch of cooperative games at home and i was like man It'd be great if x was just a cooperative board game.
0: Sure. If I can just interject as well, like this is around Absolutely. the time right when like Dead of Winter is starting to pick up Storm and
1: like there's yeah. like a whole this bunch is of 2013,
0: 2014. Yeah, yeah. So this is about the same time that like these games are starting to get really popular and like really
1: take yeah. off. Pandemic is selling really well. It's in multiple printings because Pandemic, I believe is 2008 or 2009. I yes. think That's really yes, yeah. the original kind of cooperative game to hit mainstream tables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, I played a bunch of those. Um, I do like my cooperative dungeon crawlers at the time. Got a few of those, um, mm-hmm. but I was like, Grish, this this is a great start. But like, nobody's going to want to be the GM. How the heck can, can, is it possible to to get like an an automated opponent um, so that you can just everyone can be rebels because nobody wants to be the Imperial player getting kicked to the curb every week as they players are having this awesome hero moments and you're right. like yeah all right so uh around the same time this is actually halloween 2014 uh i managed to dislocate my knee and wasn't really going anywhere for a while nice and i was like man i can't i can't go out and do stuff i can't like i'm still able to work because i'm working in the software at the time um like i'm working from home and i'm like man it would be great this campaign idea is like it's got this this real it's really it's really got to wrap wrap itself around my brain and i'm like man it'd be great if we could just do this thing so that the next time i'm out we actually can just like play this co-op x-wing thing so i do some research and i find oh, well, i have make sure i quote it correctly here let me grab my handy dandy heroes of the aturi cluster rulebook. wow uh getting getting ahead of myself a little bit here is that a first edition uh, print <laughs> uh well since there was never like an official print this is way way back uh let's see ralph barrett is his name okay so he put together this x-wing ai app which i think is probably still around somewhere on somewhere, Yeah, yeah I've, I've seen it and it you know, the thing I'm talking about, it's yep. got a little like click chart of like directions yep. and, and distances for, for the thing. I looked at that and I said, uh, I downloaded the, the web page and then kind of dug through the JavaScript that he had written the whole thing in to see how it works, to see what the actual game design was for how he had built these, these randomizer tables. And I looked at them and I played around with it for a little bit, played a couple of just really simple games with it, just on a little flat area with my X-Wing models and was like, man this works but like i can tell you've never played x-wing competitively because your ships aren't doing things that people do with these ships right <laughs> your tie fighters don't scream five forward at every chance they get when they're out of range like yeah wow but we could probably change that and we can do some ad- uh, adapting of this system to make a decent opponent and i was like okay started working on that started figuring out a way to do it entirely in paper which became the heroes of the aturi cluster ai card yeah um because i i I still believe this which is that uh if you're gonna play a tabletop game it kind of needs to be uh there shouldn't be any technology on the table like the half the reason to play a tabletop game is to unplug from sitting at a computer Hmm. or having your phone or using digital tool so i'm like nope pen and paper all the way let's all just you know, can we do it with the dice, dice and lookup tables kind of thing? Right. And it turned out to be very possible. So that was the beginning. And then I said, Well, this campaign thing is still really interesting. I still like this idea of the, the pilot growth. What's a rudimentary system for like how many points players can get to spend on their stuff? And how do they earn more points and all that? Yeah. So then I had these two pieces. And we got together one night where I put together a really rudimentary scenario where we just shot up some TIE fighters. And that became the first mission in what would eventually become Heroes of the Aturi cluster. That mm-hmm. is literally the introductory mission, was like what we played that night. Right. And then there was a span of time where uh I was getting getting better on the knee injury to the point where I could actually like go out and stand and do stuff. And I would just start. Every week, I would design a new scenario, figure out, sure. put it, plug it into this little template in Heroes. Uh, what became the mission template for Heroes of the Atari Cluster. And I would take it to Meeple Mart on Friday, and we would just play the scenario. Uh, we'd do a couple of games of competitive, and then to capstone the night, we'd be like, "Okay, who's playing Heroes? Bring your stuff over here. We'll set it up. We'll play it." So yeah. We did a bunch of like five and six player games of Heroes just as to you know to close out the night. Sure. Um, it wasn't even heroes at that point, and it was all black and white prints, like it was hideous. Yeah. yeah. yeah but yeah, it yeah. worked, and it was fun, and people were super invested in their their pilots and their characters. Did did so they, we do um... that kind of until I get fourteen or fifteen missions, I think ish. Mm-hmm. Did... and then figure out how to restructure them all into a campaign and write some narrative around it.
0: Okay, uh, that was going to be my next question. Sorry, I was going to be like, did like when did the narrative part come into it, and like why did you decide on the Atari cluster as opposed to like maybe something more um tied naturally to star wars instead of like creating like essentially your own um, um
1: subset within the universe uh two things one i wanted to make sure that the players would not be directly there's actually a design bible thing i i came up with when i was working on this originally which was just that the setting is so fertile that you don't need the players to participate in the key events of the saga i would rather them tell their own story so Mm -hmm. there was never a trench run scenario i never made one right because that's usually like the iconic one that people are like yes we're doing the trench run it's we're doing the well that keeps on giving right (laughs) it is it is it absolutely is it's it's really the inspirational moment for sure um but i was like no no that's that doesn't feel right to me because the most interesting missions in my mind were always the ex- weird expanded universe stuff that I was reading about in X-Wing novels or like playing through in the rogue squadron video games from the N64 mm-hmm. when I was a kid, like I loved all of those scenarios and I was like, well, if I was going to just participate in the star Wars universe, this is the bread and butter stuff that I would be doing. I wouldn't be at the battle of Yavin because nobody makes it out of that alive except for Luke and one of the y pilots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think and wedge, yeah. Like that's pretty grim. We need a we need a slightly more survivable ho hum run of the mill missions. So, me being me, also a big fan of West End Games, the old 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 Star Wars D6 stuff, mm-hmm. grabbed my West End Games sourcebook, which includes the star maps, and started looking for stuff that was not particularly well developed. Right. and there's a little corner in one of the star charts which is the Atari cluster and I was like that's a cool name right there's a whole little sidetrack here where I tried to name it a bunch of other things and people were like no that's terrible it has to be heroes it has to be of the Atari okay. cluster and then it just kind of cemented right but yeah it was it was literally I picked a star a star point on an old West End games source book chart that then I looked it up on the wiki and it found it was basically empty there were like three or four other stars nearby with I think the extent that they were developed is like, hey, there's a nebula here, and there's a planetary garrison here, and that's it. That's all there okay. is. Okay. Know, three, three sentences about this area, and I'm like, Great. perfect. Right. <laughs> you're 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 going to be bringing the word of the rebellion to this backwater planet system, and, and do whatever. So I'm like, right. perfect. We got an open setting. Uh, we'll got carte blanche to do whatever. But it's the you know just set after Battle of Yavin, so it's the right kind of era that anything can happen and and then yeah that's pretty much how we got the setting and the name
0: right and when you when you got it so you know you got so now like getting closer to like when thing was actually being publicly released like you got the name you got the narrative you got a bunch of missions like it's starting to really like take its form uh you put it up there uh for i guess for anyone like was the intent to be like all right let's just put it up there so everyone um at PTL could like play it on their own, or was the intent like, I think the rest of the community needs to see this, or like, you know, like what was Um, the driving motivation at that point? So yeah,
1: there was there was a a moment where I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. We were playing it every week. And I got this idea that like, yeah, there's enough cool missions here and the progression works well enough that like this seems good enough to make some content for Docking Bay 416. We'll we'll do it up nice. Okay, And I made the decisions to, to do some print layout work, do some graphic design and some print layout work. Cause I'd always been kind of noodling around with it, but I, outside of the thesis project I did to finish my four year graphic design degree, I had not laid out a board game before
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and I was kind of itching to do it again because I had done a lot of other graphic design in the interim. And I wasn't doing print stuff at work. I was, I was entirely yeah. front-end design, graphic designer for web.
2: Right. So I was
1: like, man, I regret not doing enough InDesign work when I was in school. <laughs> doing right. like, you know, print layout, print design. This is a great excuse to do some.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So how do I InDesign in a way that isn't completely hand-fisted? So I started teaching myself Adobe InDesign. And I've been using like Photoshop for, yes. you know, Going on ten years at that point, an illustrator for a handful of years, and it was like, "Oh, I really should learn InDesign because, like, that's books and that's
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's something I'm gonna want to know." So, getting into that, combined with all the Photoshop and stuff I did after that, you know, I get the Heroes of the Atari Cluster booklet, yeah. and I'm actually holding here a web print of it from some print-on-demand service. The original, original one that I ever printed uh in color anyway after laying out this 80 page book um the original one actually i had spiral bound at the copy shop under my office right in downtown toronto and that one i believe belongs to my mother (laughs) i think she still has it i don't have it that's fun that's fun Uh, um but yeah that was the excuse to lay it all out and typeset it and then we just decided hey put it up on docking bay 416 Right. Uh, a couple of people in the club posted it to Reddit and posted it around the web, and um, the Dropbox account I was hosting it on crashed on day one because it of course. exceeded its download cap. And of course it did. Of course it did.
0: I yeah, Of course it did. I, I'll actually I want to say something about this because I think that, and maybe th- this is my intuition here, but I feel like the reason it did so successfully. Not, not to say it wasn't an incredible system. It's it, very well thought out, like well tested system, and I, like I applaud you. But I actually feel like the reason why it was so successful was because of the design work. That it was published in a way that felt like um, a professional piece, which then gave people the yeah. confidence to go and try it, as opposed to it, you know, yeah, being absolutely. you know like here's like a, a a web doc with just a bunch of things and like you know. Yeah, it's it's a word doc,
1: right, or whatever, yeah, with exactly. some with some some scribbles in it, and yeah, and some some writing. Yeah, yeah part of it was like to prove to myself that yeah, I could lay out an eighty-page book, and part of it was, um, nice things are are nice. <laughs> like, nice things are nice.
0: Yeah, for sure. And
1: if people, th- yeah, and if people see that it, you know, is is beautiful and that all this work has been put into it, then clearly they must really like it and have been at it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. i mean that's so i
0: wrote a forward and
1: yeah um (laughs) do you think that that's yeah it it did pretty well it was very very popular i would i for there was a span of probably six months to a year there where i kept finding out that some group in some far corner of the globe was playing it yes and i had an unending stream of people who wanted my source files so that they could translate it into other languages Right. And I still have not to this day given away the Photoshop files and InDesign files to make this document. Sure. People have reverse engineered it a little bit, Yes, but I was very adamant that like, nah, <laughs> this is, this is the original thing. It's, uh, sure. Well,
0: that's, that's interesting because like one of the things I wanted to ask you about as well is like, this thing is technically at least your version of it has been in beta mm-hmm. for like essentially since the release. It's probably <laughs> never going to get an official release. Because, oh, like it's, it's abandoned where
1: I'm under no illusions.
0: Yes, yes, right. Um, but like, you know, and clearly other groups have taken it on and it's kind of kind of grown on its own. There's a whole community now okay. that supports Hotak um has done the conversion to 2.0 and now 2.5 and then uh, Mm the expansion content under like i believe someone made an alternative version that has to deal with like the battle of hoth or you know walkers and oh dude
1: there's so many spin-offs i have i have copies of them all downloaded and stuff but yeah the at some point i i wasn't around to witness this i don't remember exactly when it launched but somebody made a heroes of the aturi cluster what is it called like custom missions and extra content facebook group or something mm-hmm. uh yeah. and it had a fair number of members i think it was like i don't know a thousand members or something mm-hmm. it was like oh wow that's pretty crazy when i found out about it i joined the facebook group and the guy who was the admin was like okay you're also an admin now and i was like wait what yeah 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 <laughs> he's exactly. he like well it's only right if you're at the head of the ship and i'm like okay <laughs> i didn't, didn't sign up for that yeah um, yeah um but I find that that has become that is the de facto home that I point people to now because yeah. I don't have to run a web server. It's way more democratic in terms of anybody who wants to do anything with it mm-hmm. can upload a file to that group and it's available. Right. Um, it's a little bit it's a little bit of an overgrown garden at the moment. If you were gonna if you were gonna get into X Wing now for the sake of playing Heroes of the Aturi cluster, that onboarding path is more confusing than 2.5 now. Um, it's just a little bit overgrown. Yes, But if you're really determined, everything is up there and there's so much content. There's, I think, three or four other campaigns for other factions. There's other rule sets for ground assault. Some guys actually, since during the pandemic, actually contacted me and were like, hey, do you want to consult on this Heroes expansion we're going to make (laughs) with all this ground units? Here's my 3D printed ATSTs and ATATs and stuff. And I was like, yeah, sure. You want some terrain for it? And I illustrated some terrain for them. And it's just like, Yeah, it's amazing to me how it has survived. And I think if it were an official product or on, you know, one server somewhere, like it originally was in the docking bay 416 era, I don't think it would have continued to flourish. The fact that it is completely open and available and everything Mm -hmm. and just invites people to run with it, I think has been part of its enduring success.
0: Right. Do you think that, um, I mean, well, because clearly you've allowed um, everyone to kind of like take it on and and you don't want, as far as I can tell, you don't want responsibility to manage and and kind of control it. Um, Do you feel like uh, that, do you feel any responsibility to like, you know, if like if the garden is over, you know, a little bit too busy right now? Or like, do you ever feel like the responsibility to like, maybe I should streamline this or something like that? Or do you feel like. Um, it's something that, you know, you're happy that it's this kind of wild out of control thing. Um, like, how do you feel about how I think, the state it's in now?
1: Yeah. I mean, as someone who now develops board games professionally, by which I mean, I am controlling the entire user experience from when you open the box mm-hmm. to when you finish the game down to how it's packaged, yes. you know, how all the rules are presented, all of that stuff. Um, I look at Heroes now and I go, wow, that is very much an early career piece of work. It probably would benefit from some streamlining. On the flip side, I can't envision a future where I ever get around to it. Right. That's kind right. of the tragedy of it. It was like, yeah, I probably, given unlimited time and money, it would probably be on the board. Um, but yeah. it's just not. It's not something I've, I realistically think I'll ever actually go back to. Right. Um, and I'm kind of happy with how it exists other than the issue I just mentioned where it's like if you were going to discover it fresh and try and play it, mm-hmm. um, there's no good onboarding guide necessarily. It's not written in a way that makes it like a boxed product.
2: Right, right.
0: I mean, not that that couldn't happen. I mean, I've definitely like, you know, if, if someone can go and make a a campaign for the empire someone could definitely come and Mm -hmm. create like uh uh i mean people did that for 2.5 before the official rulebook came out Mm -hmm. to be like here's the pathway like someone illustrated out made a pdf that was like very pretty
1: and stuff like that happens all all the Mm -hmm. time right yeah for sure um someone has redone the i think someone took the 2.0 or 2.5 rules pdf for this and redid all the graphic design to match the new standard yeah. I saw that a while ago and I was like, oh wow. Um, okay. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where like I guess given enough time and interest it will just happen and I kind of don't need to be so concerned about it. Sure. Um being involved in steering it. Right.
0: Um Yeah, I mean, Heroes is like maybe one of the like I said, it's the most one of the most famous pieces of X Wing content, like alternative content or like like user generated content you feel do you think that um you think that there's hmm, how do i how do i ask this in a way that like is like accurate because like i could say what i'm thinking but it's actually not what i'm actually asking which is okay essentially like you know you've obviously created other pieces of work that are like you know very very successful as well like the, the attacking stuff is like been, been really really good and like the um the 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 ship content stuff has been been very effective in like uh i've seen i mean i see ads for it right the the uh for snapships you mean yeah yeah for snapships like i mean so like you know it's it's clearly it's clearly making moves right um do do you think that like because and these are all commercially successful right um but atori like kind of like is a kind of a crazy break of success and obviously like x-wing is not like that big but it is kind of big right and do you kind of feel yeah. like like i so the question is like you know a toy cluster i feel like might be your biggest success but like not really your biggest success right um do you do you that feel is an that interesting way? question right like because like like um commercially maybe. obviously not because you didn't make any money but it also kick-started your career it like helped you like you know yeah you know go on the path that you are it was critically very acclaimed and it like is known by i would say like tens of thousands of people right like of, over the course yeah, of that's the life probably of that's a like, reasonable
1: number right
0: you know yeah um and like that's not to say like you know your tackling sales wouldn't have done more but like you know in terms of like appreciable reach to to people actually playing i feel like i feel like it's like your most successful
1: product i don't i wonder if you ever had that thought about about it yeah, I have. Um, I think the first big game that we did with Lynn Vander mm-hmm. probably had more copies sold than heroes had people playing it, or okay. at least groups playing it. right. because um, the the big break for Lynn Vander Studios was the Buffy the Vampire Slayer board game.
0: Sure, of course,
1: which huge IP published by Jasco. Um, at that point, the company, Lynn was like six people. I was brought on part-time basically as a graphic designer illustrator. Um, my yeah. main contribution to Buffy is actually illustrating the game board and not the game design. Mm-hmm. Um, other people were handling all of that. And I was commuting to Guelph, which is where they were based. Uh, I was commuting to Guelph from Toronto to do it. So mm-hmm. in the beginning it, my involvement in that company was really just illustrator. It was not until much later that I became. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess now it's graphic designer slash lead developer, Mm -hmm. um, and really actually most days more operations than either of those two things. Of course it's just how it goes
0: it just it just happens like you know it's like i'm i am the like the you know i run my own company and it's like i'm the lead developer but the actual amount of development mm-hmm. that i do is like very small compared to the amount of like managerial and logistics and you know yep. ceo running kind of stuff that i do right so it just happens as you mm-hmm. get more responsibility You the, the thing related to your title becomes less and less
1: important yeah kind of yeah or it's also just when you get to the point of uh really doing publishing you just realize that there are so many more pieces in that pipeline that big companies have departments to do yeah when you're self-publishing or you know small publisher we're we're effectively uh four people yeah um when you're a company that size and you want to put out a couple of games a year well that's a lot of manufacturing and yeah. logistics for freight and solicitation mm-hmm. and sales and warehousing and conventions and advertising. Like it's, there's this whole constellation of other responsibilities that aren't game design, but yes, they yes. are just as important, maybe more important yeah. to actually making any money off of your endeavor <laughs> than yeah. the game design and making something cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you this question. Cause this is going to be a very pertinent question for, we're well, not pertinent, but I think contextually very important for X-Wing players. You know, do you have sure. a, you have a much greater appreciation now for the for the production side of games, right? Oh um, yeah, and and X Wing famously they've said it many times, but has a lead time of like a year and a half to two years, right? Um, now from from your mm-hmm. perspective, it it must be it must mean that there's like a crazy amount of stuff that needs to be done. Like to imagine that like you know a larger company like like uh, Asmodee would still take like a Mm -hmm. a potentially two-year runtime to make a product from start to finish Um, from your experience like how complicated is a process are they talking about then
1: well also don't forget that i play tested for them from wave uh whatever it was the rebel transport release i think was the first thing i play tested and Mm -hmm. the last thing i play tested was probably the houndstooth wave seven 1.0. Next 1.0. Yeah, so I got to see a little bit about their internal development and timelines and and lead times and stuff. And they did accelerate how many products they were making after a time. Like we sure. were getting, I think it, in the beginning it was like they were a little slow to spool up, but by the end they were probably doing every nine months to a year. Right. I think something something in that range. Right. They really sped it up.
0: So if we were taking like a best case scenario, which is not because AMG has now taken over, not FFG. Right. And they have a completely different Mm -hmm. team. So like, you know, if we're just assuming the best case scenario of nine months to just make the product and then ship it off to production, which is its own separate, like line of like craziness.
1: Yeah. And production is going to be, well, with the print run that you're going to need to make to sell, to pay back your Star Wars licensor fee. Uh, means you're gonna have to make an awful lot of units, which means they're gonna take longer than you typically would. Most board games, you know, publishers that would do your cardboard and stuff are gonna take mm, probably six six to eight weeks for making your plastics, longer if they're pre-painted, and then probably six weeks to assemble the whole thing and palletize it, and then you're looking at probably six to eight weeks to ocean freight it. Depending on how much there is, if there's already, more, it might take four longer. Months.
0: We're already four months, and this is just like a smaller, like more reasonable. That's the
1: that's the manufacturing and freight, and that's assuming that like everything is perfect when you send it to manufacturing. They still got to make samples and do all their tooling, and yeah. you got to approve it all, and your licensor has to approve it all because like yeah, yeah. Disney absolutely was signing off on all of this, yeah. and there's I'm sure back and forth there, and word from on high at every step of the process. I mean, most of what we designed at Linvander for years was, and still is licensed board games where we have external stakeholders who are dictating, uh, anywhere from the look and feel of the product down to the minutia of what stats are on what card right. I've had licensers tell me that before. Right. Right. So, and you can imagine for an IP like star Wars, people are very, very, very interested in making sure all of that gets done justice.
0: Well, well, I would imagine that Star Trek is a very similar process because it's, like, similar IPs and that kind of stuff. I I know you probably can't talk about the internal process, but, like, I, I would can imagine... talk a little bit about it. Sure, okay.
1: Yeah. Um, Star Trek does not have anyone with the firm grip that Disney has on IP running the show. Let's sure. just start there. Because yeah. for a long time, it was... CBS had all of the TV series and Paramount had all the, the films movies. because that's who mm-hmm. had published them all. Right. Yes. And it wasn't until very recently, like like two or three years ago that they merged them all back together under one licensing holding company just for the sake of making licensing work for Trek. Cause it yes. was frankly insane. Um, but that process was weirdly easier than I expected it to be. The the most challenging nitpicky IPs I've ever worked on have been animes, um, <laughs> okay, or Japanese yeah. Japanese licensors in general. There's an yes. extreme attention to detail. Um, yes, I've heard some stories about the like uh, working with Japanese companies
0: and like the the yeah um, idiosyncrasies that they have that no
1: one else seems to have in the world. Oh yeah, and I've done enough of them now, uh, enough games for for Japanese licensors that. Um, Mm-hmm. I have an appreciation of that process and there are things that I will do during development now that if I had to explain so- to someone that I was doing it, they would be like, why the heck are you doing this? And I'm like, trust me, this cuts approval time from six months down to two weeks. Like <laughs> you just, these are, these are boxes you need to check that you don't know you need to check. Cause right. they assume this is how it works, but right. no one will ever tell you that until you screw it up. Right. Right. Yeah. So no, but for so so Trek was really interesting in that mm-hmm. uh, we did we did the Dominion War campaign, which is called Star Trek Alliance. It is basically a standalone cooperative starter box for Star Trek Attack Wing, but it has its own card pool that is compatible with the standard game, but it's one way compatible, so you can use. The co-op cards in the competitive game but you can't use all the broken competitive things in the co-op game because it upsets the difficulty c- scaling um it was built as how can we take a six-player heroes of the Aturi cluster experience that WizKids was really excited about when we demoed for them in 2016. um it was how do you take that experience and Make it a sellable, purchasable product that doesn't cost $400. Yes. This Heroes was written assuming that you're me and you have a complete collection of X-Wing. Well, and multiple, um, like, you're, like, eight TIE Fighters and 15. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you, you know. Yeah, you can field years. 100 points of any model. Like, that's, that's the level yes. that it was written to. You got yes. two of every big ship. Okay. Yes. Most people don't have that. And unless they were hardcore X-Wing players, they wouldn't ever buy in. That oh, level. yeah.
0: No, I remember when we were, when I was first playing Hotak and they're like, You need six TIE Fighters. I'm like, do I have? I don't even
1: know if I have four TIE Fighters. Oh my God. You need two TIE Fighters per player is the real answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I know groups that played it by everyone brings their core set and pops their own stuff and they just (laughs) it all together and they have enough that way. But I was used to being the dude with the rolling granny cart Full of tackle boxes, and I would just like there's tackle box one, here's all the TIE fighters, here's tackle box two, here's all the player stuff, yeah, yeah, here's yeah. tackle box three, here's all the tiles and the dice and everything. It's just like I would just I would just treat it like a board game. I would just bring it and deploy everything. Yes, and then yes. people would bring their own custom models, right? Yes. For their their heroes. Yes. Um no, but so like the, the biggest challenge with Alliance was actually not even working with the Trek IP, because like I'm a big Star Trek fan anyway.
0: Sure.
1: Um it was Figuring out how to design it as a product that would make sense for, you know, the needs of, yeah. uh, of, of retail. Yes.
0: Make the margins, and the solution, be the right size, like, you know, yep. still have enough content, be justified that you would oh, want to do especially content, content on top of it. Yeah.
1: How do you, how do you even write six scenarios when all you have is three different enemy ship models for two player ships? Yes. So it, it, it basically became a two player version of Heroes of the Atari cluster. Yeah, But every scenario in the book was written so that if you bought three copies of it, you could play at six players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just kept that. So we did three boxes with WizKids that have an ongoing story. And it ended up being about 21 missions, I think, something like that. It was actually bigger than Heroes in terms of content. Sure. Um, well, that happens when like you have financial backing
0: on it and
1: it's just not a, a fair project. Yeah. And we, when we approached WizKids about doing this, they were very skeptical that we would want to do something for attack wing because most of their attack wing sales revenue, their, their golden age was really 2014, 2015. Mm -hmm. We approached them in 2016, finished the design and got, got the green light to do the game in 2018, Mm -hmm. finished it in 2019. And it didn't get published until 2021 because of manufacturing and licensing issues. Yes. So like the lead time on that game was five years. Yeah. Yeah. Which seems utterly insane. Yes. And by the time it came out, like people were like, oh yeah, I remember that Star Trek game. Oh, there's like a new starter set for it. <laughs> yeah. like, um, and part of why it did well for us is that it, the, you couldn't get a Star Trek attack wing starter set anymore. If you, That's right. there were still ships available like it was, it was still out, had, of, like, out, of, out of print basically except for and that but there yeah, was around yeah some yeah you couldn't get like federation like enterprise d ships or anything like that but you could yeah. get stuff for the game yeah yeah uh klingons and romulans and
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, kazon and what have you all that stuff was kind of still out there because they made so much of it Yes. Uh, but there was no starter set, so they were like, "Well, you know, we're going to make it a standalone box. It'll be a starter set. You can use it to play Attack Wing. We'll make sure some of the stuff in there is compatible with Attack Wing. And then, oh, okay, yeah, like I guess do this co-op thing. That that's cool. We'll we'll do that. Make an original story that follows kind of parallel to Star Trek Deep Space Nine because yes. it's going to be the Dominion War. We got to have got to have Dominion ships. They're the only thing that makes sense enough to sort of fit the heroes of the Atari Cluster paradigm." Yes. where you're outnumbered and yes. they're clearly evil yes <laughs> like yes, yes. doing anything else in trek is kind of a non-starter uh, yeah, yeah that yeah. way unless you're maybe the borg yeah
0: um, and the borg wouldn't be a good product because it's not a very interesting product to to sell for like fears like on the box like dominion ships are kind of they're kind of cool looking right and like they have i think so like they have a great color palette and like you know they're, they're visibly identifiably different from from a lot of stuff and uh sure so, like, there's a lot of things going for the Dominion that would be better for sales and that kind of stuff than, than Uh too. They were
1: also universally hard to acquire. Um, the two ships that I picked for the box to be Federation ships were actually these are ones that were either totally unavailable because you could just never find them because they were mm-hmm. so popular, like the Excelsior yeah. uh, class ship. And the other one, the Acura class, they had only ever printed one model of. It was short printed, it was really hard to get. And there were a bunch of really cool cards that came in that pack that people really liked that you just, you're impossible to get if you were playing attack wing and weren't there when it came out. Right. So a lot of the decisions in that game were, yes, we're going to do this co-op campaign, but the nuts and bolts of what I actually put in the box were uh, really determined by me talking to some very prolific attack wing players being like, hey, nobody can get this upgrade card because it's been out of print for five years. Mm-hmm. um it would make sense for your campaign can you do it and i'm like yeah sure done i'll figure out how to make that work yeah yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of that so part of the reason it was really successful is that we also like yeah it's a cool co-op thing but it was also very carefully targeted as a star trek attack wing starter set for a community that was hungry for star trek attack wing stuff right right and and it's like it had something for the existing
0: market like that they desperately needed in addition to be something great
1: for new players to come in on yeah 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 so i think you know i think some of the mission design in that first box is a little bit ho-hum several of the missions are if you've played heroes of the aturi cluster are i won't say reskins i will say heavily cribbed um sure and it wasn't really until because we, we did originally pitch them the trilogy of, of Star Trek Alliance games, which are now all available. Mm-hmm. But the, in the beginning, that, that five-year stretch to get that first game made, they weren't sure that it was even going to be worth doing. They didn't print very many. They blew through their entire first print run and then reprinted it, which was great because I got more money for it. Sure. Um, but it wasn't until probably like, 2022 almost
2: mm-hmm.
1: that they were like yeah this is done well enough remember those other two boxes you said you had like pitched for this, for this trilogy like yeah go do those please and we said uh yeah okay let's find time to do that now <laughs> <laughs> so they were like the, uh, the the second and third boxes were very much like done all together at once where we kind of looked at the entire thing and said here's what we made right? what worked what didn't how do we then expand it into a trilogy how do we fix the player scaling so that high end battles are more challenging than they are in heroes of the atari cluster like there's a whole bunch of stuff in there mm-hmm. just like improving upon the experience where i had control of the whole ecosystem i got to control yes. exactly the card pool exactly every scenario do all the player scaling all of that and was never worried about supporting stuff from outside the boxed product although there is a table in each mission book that tells you, like, if you have other Star Trek Attack Wing stuff, here's how you put it in. if you want to fly a different ship that belongs to the Federation, here's where you can do that. But I never really... That wasn't the focus. It was very much a... I get to design, uh, you know, a $150 big box Star Trek game. It just happens to come in three separate packages. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. That's dope.
0: That's really dope. Um, Okay, so... This is a great place for us to segue into uh, my favorite part of the podcast, which is, um, uh, you know, uh, which is going to be a little bit weird because normally when I do these things, I take notes to like kind of come up with with stuff. And I actually have not Mm -hmm. done any of that. So I'm going to be just like the guest where I don't know anything (laughs) and we're going to make it up off the dome. But uh, it's time for the ad read. Um, so, this podcast has been brought to you by Docking Bay 416. Um, it doesn't exist anymore, but when it did exist, it was the home of Heroes of the Toy Cluster. Um, this podcast has also been brought to you by all the stuff behind Josh's camera, all of his products and painting stuff, because uh, pre-podcast, we were talking about how uh, we wanted to show all that stuff off, and it looks great um and finally (laughs) the
1: the junkyard yeah
0: yes uh and finally this podcast has been brought to you by ip claims and uh licensing issues because lord knows those things are a pain in the butt um and they all and but you need them to you need them to sell product so uh, those are my three you have any you want to throw in
1: there uh let's say this podcast brought to you by the original z-man uh who believed in star trek attack wing or rather star trek alliance enough to make it a thing and fight for us and get that game made as much as it was our design um (laughs) because we wouldn't really be talking about this without him and then i let's say this podcast is probably also brought to you by snapships build to battle
0: there we go. I was wondering if you were going to actually do an actual ad because, like, you know, this is a this is great ad space for an actual product. <laughs> tell tell me tell me about Snapships.
1: What what about it? What what what's mm, so great about okay. it? Uh, have you ever wanted there to be X Wing, but made of Lego, where you got to build the thing and design the whole stat line for the model before you field it? Oh yes. Oh yes. Because that's more. not broken at all. That's not terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's a wild one. So the story of like how I did Star Trek Alliance with WizKids is really... Uh, my business partner in Vander, Tommy, is an incredibly capable pitch man. He's one of the best in the industry, I think. Sure. Um, he was really the one who saw Heroes and what I had done and said... When I told him that Fantasy Flight was not going to touch it with a 10 foot pole. He was like, mm-hmm. Well, let's go to the people who also published this game and just took it straight over to his kids and was like, Hey, we'll take a meeting with them at, at Origins and you just show them what it is and they'll be crazy. And he's he right because yes. they know how to make a buck. Um, yes. well, by the way, by the a way, co- sorry, hmm?
0: just a little side note as, as a thing that is exactly the correct strategy, like it. it if uh, when I heard that, also when that that uh, that FFG wasn't going to touch Heroes of Atari Cluster, I was like, mm-hmm. "Well, I hope they're taking it to Attack Wing because this is really dumb if they if this doesn't get made into something."
1: <laughs> yeah, Fantasy Flight is not a company that hires external designers. Their entire engine, at least when I play tested for them, and from what I gleaned talking to people who have worked for them, uh, such as the staff who worked on imperial assault for example Mm -hmm. um they're a company that does not solicit external designs they pull their entire customer and employee base ask them for what would be cool stuff that they want to buy then they take it to a designer in-house have them write up a pitch and then they just make it happen yeah like they just manifest they just condense it down from their existing employee base and their and their customers and figure out what Oh to yeah, to do I'll I'll tell not. you I'll tell you another story. I'll tell you a story myself.
0: I'm going to throw some content in right. there too. So, um uh as you actually I don't know if you do know. I think you do, but um so I make Yasby, right? So I do the 2.0 Yasby. Right. I'm
1: very aware of this. I made the font for you in the good old Halo. I do know that.
0: Well, I mean, it was already by the time I taken over, it was already it had been like iterated over several yeah. times. But I do know that yeah, that. yeah, that thing. Right, you're in the credits somewhere. Um, <laughs> I think uh, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I pitched to them. I was like, okay, you guys are making a, a list builder. I'm ha- I'm here as a resource. Like, l- let me help you. There's so much to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the best I ever got from FFG was a consultory. Uh, meeting when they were doing the mass revisions to it because they had failed so badly the first go around oh boy that they were like remaking it and they're like you know maybe we should ask the guy and actually they didn't even ask i asked do you need help and they're like yeah maybe you should take a call with the guy who's like in charge of the project and and i was like okay sounds great i'm happy i'm here to help right and like yeah And I was like, and here's the thing, right? I own my own software development company. I have a game, like a game development company. So like it very easily could have just been like, hey, why don't you hire me? I'll redo your thing for whatever you were paying them and do it better and also have the pedigree and also the clout to like drive Mm -hmm. everyone over because if it's like, you know, so there was like a lot of business reasons why that made sense. But, you know, uh, in the end, they had gone with like their approved vendor choice which I don't know uh-huh. some Polish developers. I don't know how they got on well, the Well, they
1: owned another subsidiary, uh, another uh, another subsidiary of Asmodee, right?
2: Yeah, because the probably. umbrella
1: owns Fantasy Flight and all these other things, and they had this app development studio, and they were like, "Well, these guys are in our pocket, so they'll just do everything." Right again they did all the apps for descent and everything else they did the co-op mode for imperial assault and all yeah. that stuff the app that they added to yeah. it after the fact
0: but but i heard okay so i mean this is all post ffg so now i don't i don't care but t- so <laughs> i had been told that so i had a question for them about like why did they do their um uh uh why did they do um this this thing uh their points a certain way because they had points set up in a, mm-hmm. in a various like very strange like uh you know uh, curve right and i'd ask someone like yep. why why do you do your thing in an equation like basically it's an equation for determining the points I'm like well because they the developers told us that they couldn't do a a table of values that had to be an equation for calculating the the, the points and I and I sat there I sat I sat back there and I'm like you do realize that Yasby does their points does not do a calculation just takes the values that are listed per initiative and then just puts them in
2: mm-hmm. you,
0: you realize that that whatever they told you is a crock of BS right um, yeah a shortcut so so it's like I, I don't know like I just um, <laughs> Sorry, I needed to unload my my giftsgivings, but like, let's go back to yeah. what you were saying. There's, there's
1: probably another really interesting conversation you and I can have another time about uh, war stories involving FFG. Sure. I've got some good playtesting ones for you to share later. I don't want to talk about them on the...
0: I feel like that would be inappropriate to share publicly, but please tell me privately later. <laughs>
1: uh, okay, yeah. So I think let's hop back a thread here. I think we started to talk about snapshots. Snapshots, yes. Please tell me about why
0: why was it, why you thought it was a great idea to to put Legos and uh and X-wing together and 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 take on that balance nightmare.
1: Yeah. Um before I tell the story of how this was a terrible idea and I got a little bit over my head. Um I'll tell you the story of how it happened. Sure. How, it, how it came to be. So 2020 during the pandemic um i had built a lot of lego sort of big stuff display models for conventions and stuff in like 2013 2014 2015 Mm -hmm. switching over to doing game design is like my my main uh well hobby that became job kind of thing meant that i didn't really have time for lego anymore yeah and Friend of mine in the States posted this Snapships kit on his Facebook page and was like, Hey, I found these, got some for my kid. They're cool. We're, you know, it's a neat little toy I found. And I was like, that looks really interesting. Oh, they're not available in Canada. Well, the company that makes them is in Wisconsin. I'll just buy them direct from the company you've got them on their web store. I'll buy a couple, see what they're like. Because, you know, as a kid, I had all the different building toys, messed mm-hmm. with it messed around with everything. So got a couple of kits. They show up. I pay almost the same price in duty and shipping and stuff to get them to me. So they're horrendously expensive. Sure. Um, I get them. I build them. Really like them. Okay. Uh, They're very interesting. Clearly they were cribbing some ideas from Lego for like instruction booklets and stuff, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the Lego set I always wished I had as a kid because it's super chunky and very like sci-fi specifically. Hard sci-fi and it's like oh this is gonna be real good so i went from owning i think they had done a launch wave of like 10 different ships i went from having three of them to having doubles of the whole wave okay um so i bought a very large box of them and yeah yeah paid way too much to the canadian government to import them uh and then just started messing around with them building cool stuff because i found them a really nice Sort of iterating prototyping tool for like sketching out stuff because they're really easy to like take apart and put back together the way they're mm-hmm. they're built they're just these really simple like i'll show this to the video feed just for the the folks at home but they're like math cubes if you know what those are they have it's a cube with a, a peg on one side and then five holes on the other faces and you mm-hmm. just pop them together they've got a little rubber interior core so i was like oh these are great to just mess around with um I started making custom models with them. Cause of course, like if you've got two of everything, you're going to make all these wacky Franken builds. And I was like, yeah, you know, I've never done like Instagram. I'm going to just start posting builds on Instagram. Cause I see they're, they're doing a big thing where they're like promoting snapships with this Instagram account that they've got for the, the company. I'll just like put some stuff up there and tag the, the company. Like yeah. it'll be a fun thing to do. Well, the Instagram account is not owned by the company. It's owned by the two inventors of the toy line who licensed it to the toy company. Oh. So they are the most enthusiastic supporters of everything Snapships. So they are sure. They are of in. Course. It. And they're like, dude, your stuff is amazing. Can we do a Google meet so you can do like a show and tell? Okay. Uh, and and show us like these these cool customs you made. And like we'll do like a little YouTube video and just like promote it. And I'm like, yeah, cool. I love the toy. I'm happy to help. Like, sure, we'll do that. I do the I do the interview. You can actually still find it if you I don't know what they called it, but the if you browse back through the Snapships YouTube channel, you can find it. Um, I do this this show and tell interview. I'm wearing a Lynn Vander shirt while I'm like parading all these models around in front of camera. Yes. yes. And we break it into two parts because I've got so many and they want to see all of it. And when the interview's over and we we cut, I'm still talking to them and I'm like, guys, these are really neat and you've kind of got all the right material all the right dna in this to make like a game is that something that you think my company that develops licensed properties (laughs) could do with your property (laughs) and he actually just laughed at me because their original concept for the toy line was to make a what you see is what you get miniatures game oh that was the original seed idea for snapships Okay. Um Scott, one of the two inventors was studio head of Neversoft. So he was there when they made for Activision uh Call of Duty. Yes. Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Yes. Um and the other gentleman, the other co-founder Jeff Swenty, uh was like basically mocap director and art director, one of the creative directors for yeah. all of those projects as well. Yes. So they're like ex video game people and they were like yeah we had this idea to make sort of a warhammer thing where like the model is what it does and we play tested all of these weird iterations of it and he showed me a bunch of photos and he was like well when it came down to brass tacks of figuring out how to do all of the design and manufacturing and logistics for making a toy line and all of the stuff that entails because man toys are complicated and
2: Yes, legislation
1: for them is really complicated and Mm -hmm. finding a toy company to help them do it is complicated by the time that they got to release and i bought them in the first year they were out they had been working on it for five years right and they were like it was so involved making the toy that we just had to shelve all of our game stuff because we would never have finished anything otherwise right and then here you come along. We've just interviewed you. You've made all these really cool models using the stuff that we never thought you could build with it. Yes. Like one of the first models I did was basically a tie-interceptor. And they were like, we didn't think that was possible. Yeah. Um. And then they're like, oh, and you are, you know, you've got this company that does IP work, makes board yes. games based on IPs oh, and you did Heroes of the Aturi Cluster and Star Trek Alliance. We originally wanted to make X-Wing. Like, it's just like, here's this Venn diagram of three circles and yeah, you are yeah, the yeah. bullseye. Yeah, um, yeah. You're hired? Like, uh, this, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is just, That's the great. universe has gifted you to us. Um, and that was, that was in 20, I think that was in late 2020, or early 2021 when that yeah. happened. So we we started to work making a thing and during the pandemic a lot of the other publishers that we had done for higher design work for wetland Vander were unsure about what they were going to be spending money to manufacture because everything yes. was kind of screwed up right COVID mm-hmm. and all that so we were like hey yeah this is good on you josh you found some work for all, all of us to do yes, yes. um uh, and then it just kind of it, it evolved. Um, they were very adamant that they they knew that it was going to have the potential to have like a collectible card game kind of design scope to it because of how modular the toy was. Yes. And we set some ground rules really early on about just like, well, if it's a toy line, you don't want to constrain people from building a cool thing out of the toy.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: you have to you have to be able to allow them to make all this wacky stuff and you also then have to make sure that no matter what crazy combination they make uh that the game still works basically yeah and they weren't sure it could be done i was pretty sure it was going to be a challenge but could be yeah and i think since it came out a lot of people who have discovered it have been like can that work Does that is that a thing you can do but it turns out that the one of the decisions we made really early on was to do what became like the core mechanic of the game, which is ships are modular cards that represent all the parts on them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then all the cards have an energy cost. There's no point costing. So you never have to worry about X-Wing style erratas or mm-hmm. any of that sort of stuff unless you make a broken card, in which case you just have to ban it. But there's no point costing. So it's very easy to build and design a thing. Yeah. As simple as just swapping some cards the same way you swap the physical bits. And then you can put that thing on the table and play it. And none of that existed because they had just done the toys. They had a little display stand that came with, it was like the lid of the package, but that was not a suitable game piece. And we didn't have rulers and we didn't have dice. And there are all these other accoutrements you needed to be able to play a game with them that didn't exist. So we very quickly realized that we need to kind of repackage the toy in a starter set that has all the game stuff. Yes. Oh, but it's kind of weird that the toy already exists and people own the ships. So from day one, we're going to have the X-wing Second Edition problem of conversion kits. Yes, like if you already own the toys, we have to be able to buy the cards, then plug them into the game with the dice and other bits you own. Which, as it so turns that actually out, actually very quickly what, became tricky.
0: Yeah, well, and as as it turns out, X-wing Second Edition, the conversion <clears throat> kits was actually a bad idea, even though it seemed like oh, yeah. a good idea at the time. People hate them. Yes, well, no, some people love hated loved them. them but it was like not good for their sales not good for like yeah it turned out to be very bad for FFG right right so
1: um yeah it's i think we got a little bit of a pass there from some of the community um because there was no game already we didn't <laughs> we didn't do a second right. edition we were just adding a game so there right. wasn't like hey there's this game that's perfectly good and workable yes. why are you making me rebuy it it's just oh i need the cards now okay cool yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there were a bunch of people who had sticker shock because, of course, you're talking about a toy company that manufactured enough units to put them in Target, which then, of course, didn't all move. So a lot of people bought Snapships during the pandemic when kits were being, you know, sold on clearance at Target. Right. So then they assume that that is the standard price for the toy, and it's like nobody is making any money off of that. That is fire sale. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Um, so when we came back and said the starter costs, uh, what was it on the Kickstarter? I think hundred US, like ninety nine dollars US. Right. A lot of people were like, "That is way too much money by double." And we yes. said, "Well, that's too bad because this is the only way it makes sense." Well, and it's um, just like, like we're not going to within the realm of board games. This is normal pricing, right? Well, and and more than that, uh, when we did when we showed off the game at conventions and then eventually took it to Adepticon uh yeah. in 2023 in in March we actually we had, the snapships had a booth at Adepticon and nobody blinked at the price tag mm-hmm. they sold out the entire stock they brought on day 1 yeah they had no of stock course. for the rest of the show and they were just running demos in their little 10 by 10 yeah Of course because warhammer players are like oh i can buy your entire product line for like the same price as a box of gw plastic like yeah i'm in sure i got a whole game i can play with my kid i don't have to paint it okay i'm there yeah 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 it's very
0: it's the 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 monetary scales are completely different from the toy line to like Mm -hmm. uh to uh, miniature hobbyist
1: yeah so anyone who came from the miniatures and gaming side of it was like yeah sweet Anyone who came at it from the toy end was like, this is so expensive. I can't afford it. I don't want to buy this. Yeah, Uh, That's
0: kind of funny because it's like kind of in the same world of like the financials as X-Wing where it's like X-Wing is like, if you're looking at it from like the toy lines or like a, like a, like a model section, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit on the expensive side. Right. And, and, but like, but if you're looking at it from the miniatures, like gaming perspective, it's the cheapest game you can
1: possibly get um in that space right yeah with us with the shortest startup time because you don't have to paint it yeah and it looks great on the table as is yes
0: yes um yeah that's so that's so funny
1: so okay you're gonna
0: be at Adepticon this year or or not do you think
1: yes but i'm not sure in what capacity yet okay uh Adepticon this this year falls on what we affectionately refer to as the weekend of doom sure because for Lynn Vander, it is the same weekend as PAX East in Boston. Oh, yeah, that's true. For which we are special guest panelists and we design <clears throat> a board game live with the audience on stage. Oh, fine. You can look up Design a Board Game Live and right. you can get the scoop on that. That's a whole other thing I, I don't even think is relevant to this discussion, but that's the same weekend as Adepticon. Okay. Snapships, I believe, is doing Adepticon. As and the other thing that that is that weekend is think it's gary con in wisconsin which is a big D D industry show right it has a lot of those alumni but uh, we also publish a D 5e setting guide
2: right an
1: original one and right that's some of our team goes to that right i mentioned we're a four-person company that's yeah, three yeah. shows in one weekend we gotta yeah, go yeah, to yeah. you you do the math on that
0: yeah yeah so so one of each so 75 percent of your of your company is traveling minimum <laughs>
1: yeah all of all of us and then some actually and a couple of us are doing two of those shows in the same weekend okay splitting days it's it's stupid that sounds fun hence
0: weekend of doom okay all right so i will see you at adepticon maybe maybe i'm i'm pretty sure you will but i can't say why (laughs) oh okay all right that's fine i'll keep the mystery alive i like i like the mystery i like the mystery um yeah. do you think do you think i mean other than outside of Adepticon, do you think that you would be interested in playing more x-wing especially with the 2.5 stuff hmm. or actually let, let, really let me let me ask question. a different question a different better question what as a
1: game designer how do you feel about the 2.5 stuff my gut reaction to random order after dials affectionately known as road uh yes. was you've ruined a game that was perfectly serviceable but i think having i think i only played with it like once or twice and it yeah. sort of didn't matter i think that's a change that the com- the the casual community just kind of went what but people who play the game with like initiative point bids and all of these weird contrivances that happened in high level competitive play that was a change for them i think is kind of where i've realized it belongs okay uh so let me give I'm you curious some I'm curious how you feel about road yeah yeah no let me because I feel you, like it's the number one change
0: yeah uh it's not actually it's not the most controversial change just, as just, the scenarios are the number one change. as it as historically it's panned out like so since there were like five major changes that happened the one that has affected veteran x-men players the most is the list building that's the one that remains sticky okay. as a problem for a lot of people most people do not complain about Road anymore, but most people see it as a, net, sure. as a huge net positive. Um, and in, and in, uh, then some people complain about how, like, oh, you're taking away some of that, like, kind of, like, knowledgeable thing. But um, what they've, yeah. what, as it turns out, tactically, um, it adds more, um, it adds more, uh, what's it called, like, kind of prediction based, like, kind of gameplay in the actual game of its, itself, rather than having okay. all that front loaded into the list building right so that ends up being a better experience because like yes like you don't necessarily know if you're moving first or second when initiatives overlap but it means that now mm-hmm. you have to anticipate. Like it's the poker thing. It's like it's more ambiguity. Yeah, yeah. Means that you play the player more than you play the scenario, the situation, mm-hmm. right? And that actually ends up adding more kind of diversity and more like flavor to the decision-making process, which actually enriches the gameplay experience. Right. So road ends up being a non-issue. At, at best, it's like a, a an equivalency, and a, and and mm-hmm. and more actually often it's um, uh, actually an enriched better experience, right? Uh, and then the scenarios end up being a huge net positive because uh it removes uh it removes uh turtling uh it removes mm-hmm. a whole bunch of like net mpe experiences uh, and things that like mpe lists that would exist in previous iterations of the game no longer are an issue because of scenarios because you have to be considerate of like multiple different things so on the so a lot of like dumb yeah. stuff gets like weeded out in the list building section because it cannot hold up against all four scenarios right um, and then that just makes okay. it like a non-competitive list. So you don't see a lot of like really like to der- like, um, deranged lists that like end up like dramatically warping the meta in a negative way because of that. So it's hugely beneficial for competitive play <laughs> as, as, as it turns out. So the thing that ends up making players like the most ups- upset in in competitive is the list building moving away from a 200 point list to a, yeah. uh, a, a 20 a point list requests. with loaded values for each ship. Because now... Because um, yeah. it's kind of funny because in some ways it's become like kind of Lego building where it's like you swap in like five points replaced with another mm-hmm. five points or four with another four points. So in some that ways... That did this strike is like, me, yeah. Yeah, so it's like a little bit more iterative like because like you now, instead of like thinking like, oh, how am I going to make a specific thing work and like tweak everything to like make this specific comp work? It's like, okay, I have all these pieces. Let me swap this piece up for a different piece and see that that fits what I want to do. So it's like...
2: yeah. So it's
0: like less refined, but like more... Diverse because you're actually looking at all the pilots instead of like looking at specific combination of things and then try to make trying to make that work with upgrades. Right.
1: Um, yeah. But a lot of players don't you like, also now have yeah. because you your individual. Are the upgrade cards still point costed? Yeah. So there's no, a right. loadout for each ship, every, each pilot. Oh, the right. loadout points. Right. So yeah. they're, they're less granular now, though. So like you can you have a lot more things that are like one loadout point in a category. Uh, yeah? I mean, it's like it's like kind of the same granularity, right? Like, the loadout values can okay. change, right? So, like, you know, some ships... Oh, but because because the loadout is not part of the squad total, you now have always a guaranteed loadout, which means you always have upgrades on stuff.
0: Yes, you always have upgrades on stuff. So some people don't like the fact okay. that there's, like, a ton of upgrade bloat uh, dependent on yep. like what where you fall on that. Uh, although I feel like in in most cases, upg- upgrade numbers are very similar to what they were before. What has changed now is that, like because um these because like hot swapping is like very important as a part of the listing process generics really mm-hmm. have no place in that in that list building um process sure because why would you ever replace um uh, a, a named pilot with an upgrade with a non-named pilot with no with no game text right uh, yep. there is there's literally no point value where that makes sense right like some people mm-hmm. would argue like in the community people argue well if they just made them a little bit cheaper well, people will take the more efficiency but in reality if oh, you boy. take something that's no five i see points where that's a problem points, you're still competing against all the four point pilot that are named and you would still not pick them right so i just think that mm-hmm. it doesn't like generic don't make sense in this loadout setup right
1: um yeah and if you make them cheap enough to make them desirable they're actually godly i would imagine exactly because they're hyper efficient exactly yeah.
0: so, so there's no real so it has no place in a 2 in a 2.5 list building like like setup so people are upset about that but that's still an ancillary connected to the list building right and that mm-hmm. that 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 main change right so um so that has been the main crutch of like what if people are upset about something in the game like long term it is related to that right um i'm of the i'm on the fan i'm of the situation of that like i think that overall the first of all it's like not positive or negative it's just different right just like all like Mm -hmm. construction setups are different they're not necessarily better or worse it really comes down to a whole bunch of other factors that that determines whether or not they're better or worse um i think that it's better for x-wing personally because i think that like uh instead of instead of uh game balancing based off of like um one thing against the whole field you're now game balancing uh-huh. one piece versus like within that one piece. So you have much more, much better control of like making individual pieces better suited to the meta, as opposed to like okay, like if this broken combination works, then I have to like errata this piece or like fix the point piece without affects yeah, other yeah, yeah. And unintended interactions, right? So I can I can uh-huh. keep all the other interaction interactions working without breaking by while I'm still adjusting this one part of it, right? So. Um, technically no less granularity, but also more granularity when it comes to control. Like it's more like fine tuned control rather than like, you know, hitting a hammer right. against something, but you know, play experience. Yeah, I think, I, I, think I think people find that in general, like a lot of people find that the list building process is more, is more boring for them because it's like, oh, well I pick up this piece and I put in this piece and they and they, you know, unfortunately, naturally human, human condition is to think, oh, well. You know obviously this is the right piece to go in and then don't consider anything else so like re- find the best yeah. five-pointer find the best five four-pointer find the best three-pointer add the 20 and you've you're done right and so um which that's not how it works but you know people think that way because that's just not na- the natural progression of human mm-hmm. human like logic right so um yep so that is that is the major concern actually i think right now in 2.5 is like I mean there are other minor things i would like to change but um so going back to the original question as a game designer do you think that do you is there you know i actually don't know how much familiarity we have with all the rule sets but is there something that you think that you go just look go and look at and you're like why did they what were they thinking as game designers um or is there something that they're in there that you're like
1: ooh, that's actually a really smart idea uh so two things were really impressive to me that stand out over the kind of course of of the as they change things in the game because mm-hmm. having played 1.0 from the beginning and had played it competitively i was completely used to all of the you know the standard competitive mainstays that you saw a lot of i played some of them i yes played tournaments with them like that's just coming from a competitive a collectible card game like Oh. you're just used to that yes you're like 10% of the stuff is S tier tournament quality, and the rest is mm-hmm. it exists. That's fine. That's what heroes yeah. is for. That's why that exists. You want to play yeah, that yeah. stuff, you play yeah. the casual format. Um the two things that were most kind of satisfying for me when I encountered them were I always liked about X-Wing that it was, it really felt like to do well, it was three equal pillars, at least in the beginning. It was mm-hmm. Quality list building, average or better than average dice luck when you're playing, and specific tactics of how you flew, how you maneuvered, did you maneuver carefully, did you maneuver well and, you know, strategically, right? Mm-hmm. It was kind of the holy trifecta of those three things working together really well, that then that triangle became lopsided in first edition with some uh, a much greater focus on, like, what people... You know, referred to as X-Wing the Gathering. It was very much upgrade-driven combo shenanigans. Mm-hmm. And the flying mm-hmm. didn't matter so much. And the list building was kind of solved. So that didn't matter so much. It was really just dice mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. When 2nd Edition first came out, I actually didn't even... <laughs> I probably should not have bothered buying all the 2nd Edition stuff, considering how little I was playing the game at that point. Yeah. But I went f- I, full conversion. I have everything for 2nd Edition right. to convert my 1st Edition collection. That's a lot. Yes. Um, and I played a bunch of games of 2nd Edition. I probably have hundreds of games of 1st Edition logged and maybe 20 of 2nd Edition, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but the thing that was really great in my mind is that they got back to that equally balanced triangle. Yeah. At least I've, I felt like in the beginning of 2nd Edition, it was, hey, list building matters and is interesting. Specific tactical decisions about flying are interesting again because all the broken card combos have kind of been evened out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's not quite so much action stacking. It generally costs when it exists. Um, so that was a really nice breath of fresh air. The second time that happened to me was looking at and playing uh, Epic in 2.0.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: 2.0 Epic is such a huge improvement <laughs> Sure. over first edition. The big ships are so much better thought out They really, I really feel like they nailed them the second time around and they're good. Mm -hmm. In first edition, they were kind of dodgy. Interesting, but dodgy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, But nothing from
1: 2.5 specifically. I think I've played like one or two games of 2.5. Like that was because it came out pretty much during the pandemic, right? During the pandemic.
2: Yeah. 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 So in-person
1: action wasn't a thing. I wasn't playing it digitally. Yeah. Didn't really, didn't really have an outlet to play it even, and then just kind of like, got busy with other things like making attack wing and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> making snapships Decide deciding to like balance
0: uh, game balance legos. <laughs> um, A little bit, yeah. Um. Okay. Uh. I think, I think like it's like, because I, I what I want to know is more like about like how you feel about kind of some of the design choices because I I also like. I have the I have a I have an opinion of the game that is the, both as a player but also as a game designer right and what I mm-hmm. what I really value sure. I think the the thing that you're going to add value is like talking about some of these mechanics as a game designer and whether or not they make sense sure. in that respect obviously since you've never you haven't played it it's it's going to be a little bit um, a little bit wonky but what if I mm-hmm. throw some of the um, the two point five like discussions your way. And you just kind of like tell me how sure. you feel about them, and then hopefully, yeah, I'll, you can get a hot take on them. Absolutely, I love hot, this. This is the podcast for hot takes, so this is the this is the best thing, right? <laughs> um, okay, so we've already talked about some of them. So we talked about road, road, um, and yep. and you've already kind of discussed it. And, I, and I've given you kind of like what the historical thing of it, about it is, um, mm-hmm. and we've talked about the loadouts. Uh, so one of some of the other changes that they've made uh, were they. When you bump, uh, there's two things. Yep. So the first thing is that you can now shoot at range zero. Um, The ship that you're shooting at with no mods, no mounts whatsoever. They had it for a little while where you could use force, but they quickly realized that was a bad idea. So you can make a shot at range zero. You are not allowed to modify or add dice or do anything positive to the shot whatsoever. Um, Okay the opponent can still modify def- uh, naturally with whatever tools that they have to, in, mm. in order to like Pack. to mod, right? Um, so what's your feeling about that in
1: a vacuum as
0: a designer and a former X-Wing
1: player? Yeah, I mean, so the thing that, that the contextual piece here is that one of my favorite units for the entirety of first edition X-Wing was Fell. Yes. Uh, I played many tournament lists flying Fell and then later with Emperor Palpatine. So, I was very used to the idea of being guessed and being intercepted and crashing into someone is the kiss of death. You lose a third of your list instantly, which yeah. is an interesting—it's an interesting game. It's a prediction game, right? Sure. Um, my gut reaction to hearing that they had done that because I did—I did read up on the second edition or 2.5 rulebook when it was new. And that was some time ago now. Yeah. Um. My gut reaction was like, oh, that completely undermines a core mechanic of the game. Sure. But at the same time, I was like, well, does it undermine it or does it just change how dangerous it is? Because now it means that stuff that I spent a lot of squad points in, like my high initiative aces, they're not just going to instantly die if they bump. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I might have a chance of actually doing a thing. The, the shooting at range zero is actually, I think, the bigger change of those two, rather than like...
0: Well, the r- other one is the red bumping, focus. So when you bump into something, you can take a red red focus action or red calculate action, okay. right? Uh, which is, I think, more of what you're talking about. But they're kind of the same... They're two sides of the same coin, right? Which is that this idea of like the yeah. interactions at range zero are very different. Um, I will say as a so contextually the so i don't think you're wrong about what you're what you're saying it is it doesn't like the instinct is that like oh this is bad but when you think about it more it's just like it's different it's not necessarily good or bad yeah. it kind of depends keep,
1: keep in mind that i have a lot of fond memories of playing x-wing first edition and if sure. humans are predictable in any way it is that they don't like change <laughs> sure
0: uh, I, I will say that um so in second edition so as a Sutrefeld player in in second edition mm-hmm. Sutrefeld is extremely um more difficult to play because he's so
1: much oh more yeah bullseye arcs, to get the bonus yep
0: not I mean that also but also like no no auto thrusters like a lot of the tools that right. kept um Sutrefeld alive no longer exist right and you mm-hmm. got to spend personal points limit. Right. You got to spend like in 2.0, you had to spend more points to like keep them alive, which meant that there's less points to like build the rest of your list out. So like it's like Mm -hmm. it's like diminishing returns. Like how much is this like, you know, you know, three health ship really worth keeping alive. Right. Um, And so in 2.5, the additional. So first of all, if you bump it to something, you are getting your bullseye focus no matter what. So you might have two focuses. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But also like, you know. Uh, in general loadout means that like you can of always have some sort of like shield upgrade or some sort of like positive like additional like stuff right. on him right for the same value you don't ever lose that and then mm-hmm. um being able to shoot range zero means that even if you do get bumped just like you're trying to run away and you get bumped you still get a shot no matter what you still get to do damage output right yeah. so it's like valuable for the high initiative ship so in some ways the bump has become less relevant but in some ways it's in some yeah. situations it's become more relevant because um focus is not the most important action in the game anymore right especially because you can get it so ubiquitously now right a lot of the times there's a lot of other actions that reinforce or you know coordinate or jam or some other actions that are like just as important if not more important for specific setups and then so denying them that action is just as bad and then if you have to take a red focus and then now you're stressed having like it's a decision tree that goes into like now the player has to think like mm-hmm. it's not just like oh I bumped. Well, okay, moving on. It's like, okay, well, what do I want to do next turn? Like, do I want to take a stress here? Can I clear it? Or do I need it? Like what like how important is the action economy? Yeah. There's like an actual dysentery that has to happen in that in that step, right? Um and the range zero stuff is like kind of irrelevant. Like most of the time you're never shooting the range zero ship, you're almost always gonna shoot. But at least now, if all of your ships are shooting at that one ship, you can also focus fire that one ship, even if it has no mods, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. shooting raw dice is still better than nothing, right? Um, Absolutely. A lot of people don't like the range zero stuff now because the because the variance is so high, a lot of the times they end up doing damage with the range zero shop. And if you're on the receiving end of that, it feels really bad, right? So I had no mods, but I threw yeah. three dice, I still did two damage. Yeah. Like, ooh, sucks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so in some yeah. ways, being the defending, like the attacker, range zero attacks are actually great. Um, as a defender, sometimes it actually feels worse. I personally would like to remove the red focus. I think that the red focus adds too much more um, token economy to the game. It actually makes things more survivable when they don't need to be, right? Mm. Um, Yeah. So, like, keeping the range zero attack, but removing the red focus means that bumps, like, bumping someone, like, uh, into someone and forcing them to skip their action is still gameplay relevant without taking away too much of their agency because they still get to shoot at range zero if they if they want to right right um okay and then the scenarios so scenario Mm -hmm. game design i I mean this is going to be the the big one right because like this is actually your bread and butter you've designed so many scenarios right well
1: i have but not not in the way not in a competitive not like a
0: competitive one it's always like one's like lopsided design and stuff like that right
1: the co-op stuff they're much more like board game narrative experiences Mm -hmm. um i have done and this was actually done prior to 2.5 existing and when i saw them do it in 2.5 i was like oh yeah that makes sense that they would add scenarios to x-wing no um in 2020 I did the bulk of the design for a system for Japanime games called Japanime Tactics. Mm -hmm. This is a card-driven miniatures game. It has acrylic stand to use out of anime characters, but it looks vaguely like a Final Fantasy Tactics or Fire Emblem, except that you have a deck of cards that drives what all your characters do. Right. Um, This game has a deathmatch mode, which is the like learn to play scenario. Mm -hmm. And then it has random scenario generators, where each player draws or drafts a card from a set for mm-hmm. their personal objective and then the resulting battle is the interaction of those two it's a little bit like our motto that way yes um so i have a fair bit of experience now with scenario okay or how how ga- will the impact on gameplay of taking what is could be a head-to-head fight but making it about scenarios instead sure sure like that changes uh, Having not played the ones in 2.5, I don't know them well enough to to say <laughs> what their effect is on the meta. But in Japanese tactics, for example, from all the playtesting we did, there are some that are like, "Wow, that completely changes my strategy. Completely makes this competitive list terrible because I don't have anyone who can." pick up and carry this thing they don't have the right stat line for sure. it because they're all slow sure. heavy hitters and they need to carry this treasure away off the map or sure. stuff like that sure so let
0: me we'll, we'll do it this way I will tell you the scenario I'll explain the scenario to you there's four of them so mm-hmm. we'll go through them fairly quickly you tell Absolutely. me your, you you'll tell me your hot take on it and then I'll tell you I'll tell all you right. what the meta has like kind of like evened out right okay mm-hmm. so we'll start with the easiest one which is chance engagement chance engagement is basically 2.0 1.0 but instead there's an objective in the center of the board you must be at range 2 of that objective in order to score points yep. there if you if you and your opponent are bo- there's basically two points up for grabs if you're the only one you get two points yep if they're the only one they get two points if you're both in the middle you each get one you split the points right okay
1: so basically so the game you- is always advancing you're always scoring just for being there just from being there and
0: so just they need one chip in the in the center so there must always be yep. some something in the center of the
1: board like engage i guess presumably engaging thoughts yeah not necessarily depending where the fight is but it, it it's it for it forces the fight to a central location yes yeah um do you still score for uh kills and for what you destroy for? everything else lift? is exactly the same okay they still half points. So now the game can now you can get does the game end when someone gets max points when, it's, when the game gets to 20 points someone wins okay so i don't have to kill your whole list if i'm hogging the middle
0: you don't have to kill the whole this list.
1: this is actually gambit from star wars miniatures <laughs> which is the standard is the standard competitive format for star wars miniatures it was yes. you scored points for enemy units you beat and you got this hold the king of the hill flag thing in the middle points yes. every turn if you were in it yes um yeah that i'm very familiar with how that works as a scenario that sounds like it Kills all the turtling in the game. Yes, is good. Yes, hundred percent. It, it it is as it turns
0: out. So um, if 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 AMG didn't make any of the scenarios and just did this, it would have been incredible for the game. Because as the, yeah. the main problem with 2.0 in terms of like um, in game interaction is that like a lot of uh, you're you're incentivized to not engage because mm-hmm. risking points no force. to get points is usually not in your favor unless you have a unless you've jockey yeah. a position. So it, it's very common to spend 80 of the uh, sorry, 60 of the 75 minutes jockeying for position for one or two rounds of engagement into a point. Oh, right. I, I'm sh- like in one point as well. Like I'm sure that you've had that experience as well, where it's just like, I don't want to engage here. I'm going to wait and wait and wait until finally I get
1: an engagement that I, f- that I feel like suits me. Um, Kind of. Yeah, I mean, that is the way of... That's how you win with fell against, like, eight TIE Fighters. <laughs> sure. You don't you don't fly into the jaws of the swarm. You chip away at the edges. You nibble, you nibble the corn on the cob. You nibble yeah, yeah, all yeah. the edges off. For sure. Right? For sure. Um, so, for, yeah, that's absolutely... Playing against that is... Your opponent is going to be elusive every chance they get. You're never going to fire at them. Mm-hmm. They're going to pick the right time to pick off one dude, and then they're just going to fly away. Yes. So, what, what this is
0: end of, end of resulting is that, like... Games tend to, so in early 2.5, uh, people just saw that and were like, "All right, I guess we're I guess we're just going head to head flying flying this of the board." Uh, and people, I think people quickly realized that you don't actually have to do that. You can actually fly normally. Yep. Uh, what it means is that instead of um, instead of like not doing completely non-engaging maneuvers, you're generally tending uh-huh. towards center, not necessarily rushing in, but kind of seeing what your opponent's doing and then adjusting. Skirting it. How can but, I get a
1: point? without committing yeah
0: right or and it's really ends up being like there will be an engagement like turn three turn four like two two three four there will be an engagement and your job is to figure out how you want that engagement to be in your favor that's your job as the player so it ends up just so that's meaning, the same like, as it ever was it's the same as it ever was it's just that like there will be an engagement within three turns as opposed to like sometimes there are no engagements right um yeah so so it feels very much like classic 2.0 um with now this like and honestly like the points in in the points specifically in chance engagement end up not mattering very much like a little bit but since both but since both players are generally gaining a
1: point it just speeds things up Mm -hmm. yeah well that's the other issue because x-wing is potentially in terminal right like Mm -hmm. you can have matchups in in the battle days that go forever one of the it's actually on the wall over here i have a store championship plaque for X-Wing yep. First Edition from way, way back. And the game I had to play to win that store championship was a two-hour game or two mm-hmm. and a half hour game. Right. Because I had cornhorn and Chewbacca, and my opponent had cornhorn and dash. Everybody has either lots of token mitigation or lots of shield regeneration, unlimited shield regeneration or both.
0: Right, right. Um it's funny that you say that because that's actually one of the core reasons why AMG decided to implement scenarios in the first place because they, uh, they were uh, that and the round counter was because they said, this is a game that technically mm-hmm. has no end. That's bad game yep. design. Games should have an end. They should be working towards a conclusion, which
1: as a, yeah. I agree with as a, a predictable length. Yeah. And for for supporting competitive play, 100%. Yeah. Um, I will throw out as an aside. None of their changes really surprised me when I then remembered that all the people making the choices did Marvel Crisis Protocol and cribbed some of the things that worked for that game and just like, hey, yeah, that works. Let's just put that in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it has a fairly robust meta as well.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, less competitive than the next wing, but still like a very, very much um, competitive. Um, okay, mm-hmm. we'll go into the next one. Uh, since you've kind of already mentioned it, like it's a good one to, to segment into. Uh, salvage yep. which is basically grab grab a loot box and carry it with you. Yes. Um so Dude, there's only
1: five different scenarios that you can ever write. That's they're all just remixes of like these five core calls. That's
0: that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. So so uh salvage is at, at starting so five objectives placed by each player um until it all five okay. are placed, right? Uh starting round two, so you can't do it on the first run, but starting round two you can take as your as your perform step action only only your performance mm-hmm. step action you can pick up the objective and you can hold it while you hold it you cannot reposition so you cannot barrel roll or boost you cannot slam okay so you can't do any special movements that allow you to get mm-hmm. further away or like you know let you keep away yep. um if you take crit damage you drop the crate so you so you also there's also a way to remove the crates
1: from players as they are, are flying around without destroying okay. them so you have to what be within range one of it to do the action to pick it up and it's just like an right. obstacle token in the play area Yep, you just pick
0: it up and it, the players are there it.
1: restrictions for where those tokens are placed in the map
0: there are but they're very generous so like essentially okay they have to be at range three of each other but and one is in the center of the board at the start so like the range three bubble is very big right so um and then not at, and then so, and then they also have to be beyond range two of each other, right? So like, ends up being like pretty spread okay. out on the map usually.
1: It's like a star with one in the middle kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and there's some variations on that, but it's generally pretty like well distributed, and players will determine where they're going. So like, you're not gonna mm-hmm. generally if players are clustering them in one area, both players have agreed to that that setup, right? Like, it's not like yes like it's mutually yeah. assured it's not like like oh no how did this happen how could this possibly happen that it ended up this way right so um so yeah, yeah. like it, it generally ends up being pretty spread out but like you know players so players have some some say in how those objectives go down and so like what are your thoughts like how do you think what do you think of that in terms of like how that would affect meta or how like how do you think that's good for back Okay the game? so
1: mm-hmm. I use an action to get it. I can't boost or barrel roll or reposition while I have it. I drop it if I take a crit. Uh what are they worth relative to the list or 20 points? What's an objective? What's a box so worth? So
0: for each one you're holding, every turn you're holding it, you get a point. For each one that
1: you hold. So if you hold five, oh, you get okay. five points. That way. Yeah. Yeah, you're never gonna hold five. That's not a thing. No. You're gonna land grab them right off the bat, and you're gonna fight over the 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 fifth one. You're probably gonna go two and two, unless you were really aggressive and like gave them to your opponent or something but like you shouldn't do that Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean it's actually i imagine in practice quite similar to the first one here is a zone where we both need to be who is going to be the sucker to give up an action to pick it up and do i want to give up my like alpha strike to do that and then once i'm holding it i can mostly maneuver but maybe not yeah i don't know that seems fun actually i would i would I would like to play that. that yes. seems like a good time, okay, so um <laughs> this is funny because
0: this is generally considered people's least favorite objective to play. um
1: I actually it's probably because it's the most chaotic, but
0: <laughs> well, so, so here's here's what ends up happening um uh so I actually I think you will actually enjoy it. I don't think that because I and you come from a different mindset uh, like similar to mine, where it's like there's something like really inherently strategic about this that's very interesting right um yeah but so for most players what ends up happening is this so you start um so the two and two is what happened in early early on in, in 2.5 where like people pick up two yeah. each and they fight over the center one right that's what people thought would, would happen right what ends up actually mm-hmm. happening is one ship hangs back and picks up one objective and the rest of the ships so, so the rest of the ships engage in the middle to deny each other picking up objectives because Okay. If you have to take your performance action step to take an objective, you leave yourself extremely vulnerable to taking fire. Oh, yeah. So all you have to do is be yep. within range of the, of, of, the, of the bulk of them, and no one grabs anything, and people just fight. Right? So you want to pick up one to secure yeah. one for yourself. Um, generally, this is a general strategy. There's and lots and of generate other,
1: points every turn.
0: To generate points just so you don't fall behind, and then it's ship discretion. And mm-hmm. then late game, depending on what's happening, then you run to scoop up everything. Because, like, you just need to hold them the turn that you score points... And then if you yeah. lose them the next turn no big deal, right? You've get I get an extra 2 3 points and if you know that could be the
1: difference between At coming back the game, yeah. or, yep. or locking the game in, right? So I want to go back to one thing specifically cuz you said there's also a round clock now. There's 12 rounds that so no one ever hits 12 rounds. Okay. No, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. 12 rounds to score to score 20 points between kills and objectives is Yes. Yeah, you probably get that on round 8
0: yes uh it's actually funny because it's like so between rounds six and eight is usually when games end uh and even yeah. if that wasn't the case so um when <laughs> when they announced 12 12 rounds people complained because uh it's too long it's well no it's too short they're like what if our games go to 15 <laughs> rounds right and then we then people played a bunch of nope. games and realized that it in an hour and 15 minutes you didn't even hit 10 rounds usually so you never mm-hmm. got there and then yeah. so it became a non-issue. So there's a 12-round counter technically, but realistically, no one ever hits 12 rounds. I've never had I've never played a game in competitive that has actually hit 12 rounds. Um Yeah, so, I can see that. Uh and so yeah. Um <laughs> any, any other thoughts before before we, we move on?
1: Uh what is the most because I know all the range, I know all the movement templates. Yes. How do people? What ships are people using to hold their their point farm? So usually it's the cheapest ship
0: that they can get. So like okay, a like a two C95 or three or something. Pointer, something that like a tie fighter, uh, something with high agility, uh, even better. Because if it's just harder to get a crit on them, even even yeah, yeah even and better. It sits
1: out of the fight at range three. No one's gonna bother shooting it exactly exactly
0: or you have to go super yeah. deep to get them put your whole list out of position to try to like you know dislodge this point mm-hmm. right the other thing is that if you have a low ship point low costed ship picking up your objective mm-hmm. they will basically pay the cost of their own ship within two three turns right yeah and so as long as they're holding it for most of the game even if they die they essentially you will not have lost your point value because you, you, you it up
1: because your two point ship made more than two points back and it didn't have to shoot anyone to do it yes yeah
0: so that's generally, yeah. so t- very typically um, a lot of lists very commonly will have some sort of cheap ship in there because objective, great for objectives and also like to fill up the uh-huh. list, right? But like, you know, it has two yeah. roles. And so it actually makes a lot of sense to like always have some sort of cheap ship in there, right? Um, uh, and then if you don't have a cheap ship, basically your setup is, okay, I need to kill a bunch of stuff, get to the late games, <laughs> and then everyone picks something up and then hope I can recover the lost points that I that I lost from not killing Yeah, it wasn't banking early. the whole game, right? Right. So, um, yeah. So, because like the the downside of having one ship hold up out of combat is that you're now down two or three points in the engagement. So it's like seventeen to twenty uh-huh. points points wise versus like a twenty to yeah. twenty engagement, right? So like, uh-huh. so there's like a
1: it's like it's like an
0: interesting puzzle to solve, right? It's like like what is the engagement? What am I putting up in points? Like, well, it's almost a wager. It?
1: What am I wagering? What do I what do I risk versus what? How long will it take to pay out? Right. Yes, exactly.
0: So very interesting. More than
1: the other scenarios. More than the other scenarios,
0: I think. Yeah. All right. I like that. Okay. Um. So, the next scenario. Uh. This is the one that. Well, I'll just tell you the scenario first. Um. It's called scramble Mm -hmm. the transmission. It's three scenarios, not five. So three scenarios. Um. Basically. Uh, a ship objectives. can objective. Sorry, a ship can um, spend their perform action step action to turn it on, mm-hmm. and when it's okay. turned on, it generates a point for you at the end of each turn that it's claimed by you, and that stays. It stays. It stays on, so it doesn't need to be re-engaged every turn, but it will just continue okay. generating points. Three, three objectives,
1: um, starting from turn. And two, you, you deploy continues. them again, just like? turns deploying them during setup and they're just kind of in the middle somewhere one's in the center and then two gets one gets uh
0: each player gets to deploy one of them and it's on the other side of the board so you get to deploy the one on your opponent's side okay the opponent gets to deploy one on your side
1: that's very similar to the other ones although the fact that they're in a fixed location means that you now have it's actually kind of like the default scenario but there's just three of them interesting you have to spend an action to do them right
0: have to spend an action to do it. It has to be a perform step action. So, like you can't do like on a co- coordinate or some other like bonus thing. Oh, okay. So
1: the ship has to actually be there. Yes. Hmm. I would bet more than the other two scenarios. This forces you to split up.
2: Mm-hmm. I would think
1: a lot of the time, because mm-hmm. otherwise you're just your opponent's going to turn them all on, and you are not going to be there to intercept two of them while you you, you do the third. I feel like, is that right? Yeah. That's my that's my take on it. That's probably how it would shake out.
0: Close, close. (laughs) So, this is a this is a this is a scenario that heavily favors high initiative ships, because. Oh yeah, because you get last chance at turning them. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So if if a low initiative ship flips it and then you're like, no, thank you, mine now. Uh, you get the point at the end of the turn, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, it also. Right. It also does somewhat favor splitting up, but actually it really depends on the list. So some lists will have to split up Mm -hmm. in order to like get one, but also threaten another one. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. but also sometimes you can just kind of put in between two of them and threaten two at the same time, um, and keep your list together. Right. And. Right. And there are even some like crazy strategies where like they'll put it deep in the opponent's territory, and then they'll have a ship come around really fast and claim it turn two or turn three. And so, like, if they leave a ship behind, if you have, like, a, a strong ace that can co- go really fast, mm-hmm. too, then they could, like, threaten it yep. so that they can't necessarily claim it, or they do claim it, they might get destroyed, right? And then you can then reclaim it and i6 turn three yeah,
1: sits in your back end you yeah. wager
0: one point to basically like hold it and then they their whole list cannot come turn back around to towards your own board edge to like try to reclaim it so mm-hmm. it's essentially yours for like many many turns like there's a bunch of tactics and strategies this is i yeah. think the most tactically interesting one like like there's a lot of like on the board like reconfiguration and like re and rethinking that you have to do from movement perspective
1: right yeah well the fact that you the fact that they make passive points is really the yes the, the difference Yes,
0: yeah. I, the game can quickly get out of control if one player um has two or three of them controlled, right? If they each have oh, one, yeah, it's fine. But as soon as you start to get it, the like I have two, you have one, or I have two, you have zero, it's like can snowball out of control very quickly. um This used to be five objectives. <laughs> this, oh, they changed it. It used to be five objectives. They found that the games were ending in turn 4 Because <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah.
0: Because you could, you could play, just take four objectives and be like, all right, cool, four points. And if you don't convert three of them, I'm going to get another four next turn.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's it's just win harder if you have too many of them on the board. You yeah. can't, can't threaten or defend them all. That makes sense. Yeah. That is one that I don't have in Japan anime tactics. That sounds great. Maybe I'll steal it. Please. Please do. <laughs> I mean, it's not my design,
0: so technically you're not even stealing it. No, so, I know. I'm giving you permission for something that I don't own.
1: No, yeah, that's fair. And I um, say steal, but really, it's loving, lovingly learned from.
0: I mean, they stole it from someone too, right? So like, it's of course none Listen, of these are new new ideas. Right? No, God,
1: no. Uh, I've I've never played War Machine. I have the tournament set for Steamroller for reasons. Right. I've never played Imper- uh, I've never played Legion, but I have the all the details on how the mission decks for that game work. Yes. There's a mission. There's a random mission generator for Warhammer 40,000, which I'll never play, but I have it because I'm interested in this sort of thing. Yeah. Designed one for Japan. My tactics. I haven't done one for Snap Ships yet. Um. It doesn't have enough of an organized play at a high enough level yet to warrant this level Maybe of interaction. Yeah, we'll get there. I think people have to play enough games with all the modular ship building first to kind of reach that critical mass people are still experimenting with weird stuff and there hasn't been like a this is the this is the meta build yet they're out there i know what some of them are but there are definitely more to be discovered yet right so for sure don't have to get there
0: all right so Um, fourth scenario last scenario this is the one uh assault on the satellite array this is basically there are five object uh five objectives on the board when you Mm -hmm. uh have a ship the the player with the most amount of ships at range one of the objective scores the point at that objective. If you have a medium or large base ship, that counts as two po- as as two ships. So if I have okay. so if I have a, uh, two small bases and you have a small base and a medium base, you take that objective mm-hmm. at range one um, because you have a medium which counts as two. So two plus one is three, and I have two. One plus one. Yeah. Um, there's five objectives on the board.
2: Okay.
1: And again, they're like the other deployed like like the steel the other box ones. one. They're just yep. yeah, just sitting around. Okay. Man, are you disappointed that they're not more different? That is a, that is one of the one that
0: is one of the that is one of the criticisms, is that they're all very similar in terms yeah. of like and the reason
1: they're all very similar is because you don't want to upset the list building and the balance. Um I did not take them seriously particularly for Japan and my tactics, the scenarios that we made for that game were designed to be casual. Yes. They are absolutely insanely wacky in comparison. Yes. (laughs) They are not like fine tuned for competitive play like this. They are crazy. Yes. One of of them just involves you surrounding an opponent's character to capture them. And if you do, you win. (laughs) Right. Think about what that does in X-Wing. Oh my God. That would be wild yes one of them is uh you score points if you're just sitting in your opponent's back end right if you're sitting in their deployment zone right so you can you can hard block in in a game with people not with spaceships so it right. makes sense there i don't yeah, think yeah. that i don't think that one works in x-wing i think all four of these that you just described to me would work in any miniatures game though yes
0: because they're generally i might actually play one in yeah.
1: Yeah, I might take I might actually try some of these in BattleTech. Please, d- please do. That would be that would be an interesting experiment.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, thoughts on this one? Any anything huh. out, out of the, other than it seems very samey, any anything?
1: I mean, it isn't though because you can't just turn them on and leave them. You have to have presence at them. I feel yeah. like of all of them, this is the one that preve- like encourages non-engagement. Like I want to hold, I want to hold a bunch of them back here. You want to hold a bunch of them there, because it's the same. It's similar to the dynamics of the default scenario,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where it's basically king of the hill. If I've got, if we both have it, we share. Although you yes. don't quite share in this case. Do you? Is it is it zero sum if if uh, you're tied on size? If you're tied, it's zero. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because there's other places you can get it. So it encourages you to go for ones that your opponent's not getting. I feel like there's a bigger chance in that scenario of just like, I don't engage because I turn this way to get this, and then you don't engage because you turn this way to get that one, and then we both just bank some points. And then we're playing like musical chairs for who has which one. Interesting. I feel like that would happen a lot. Or you get one that's in really tight contention that we're all just circling around. So it ends real, up real being close. a Depending little... Depending on whether I have turrets or whatever.
0: So it ends up being a little bit of both. So you would think in this objective that large base and medium base ships would be highly advantaged, right? Because there's a couple of things. So first of all, there's a can, setup. Can the
1: objectives be close enough that you can score multiple with one yes. model? Yes. Yeah, okay. That's that's an X factor for sure.
0: Yeah. So you would think that medium and large base ships would be highly uh, advantaged in a... In a Uh, in a scenario like this uh especially because they get the double points so they can like easily score multiple objectives if it's just one ship uh in reality uh ends up not being so much because it's very easily telegraphable so there's like the so there's (laughs) a so there's a triangle of death that you can set up where you can set up three objectives um right Mm -hmm. beside each other and in the center you can put a large base ship and it hits all three sure sure and if the but then your opponent put puts finger, their entire joust list at it and you're dead. Exactly. So you can put a ship there, but if it can't so <laughs> if you can't if you can't kill it in three turns, they score nine points. Right? Mm-hmm. And there's no, nothing you can do about that. Even if you kill the ship, you've only broken even, right? Um Right. But but the thing is, large face has got to survive nine turns. And if the whole list is coming at it and shooting into it, there's a good chance that doesn't happen unless you have a specific ship designed to, to hold it. Like let's say you had um Morna with double reinforce, right? And there's no jam in that list, yeah, you could survive three rounds holding that position, right? Um You can you can get double reinforce in two point five. What? Yeah, Morna is the only ship that can do it as far as I'm aware. Actually that's not that's true. A there's other ships that can do it. But basically the idea is for Morna's ability is that um she can instead of at the end of the turn, instead of losing the reinforce token, she can spend two charges to flip it the other way. And then oh, you okay. it. So so you reinforce back the turn before and then you roll into the engagement and you and you it's flipped forward and now you take another reinforce action you have two reinforces. Could, yeah yeah yeah.
1: You're telegraphing it for sure. Okay. Yeah. So that's a decimator, right? That's a decimator.
0: So like but yeah, reducing okay. 2 damage on every attack even if you're getting 6 attacks to in, a
1: minimum 0. Yeah. Yeah. Or minimum 1, right? to minimum one.
0: Like it, like if I'm taking take six sh- shots in and I'm only doing six damage and I've dedicated the whole list and I'm now re- taking also return fire, right? Mm-hmm. Very tough to remove that chip. Right? Um so
1: yeah. Uh but how good is that in the other force the other three scenarios?
0: Well, that's the that's <laughs> Well, so decimators right now in the meta are doing actually okay. Um they're actually mm-hmm. doing all right. Uh but I think the bigger thing is that like that idea of like three objective is very telegraphable. And so if you don't have a specific yeah. setup designed to hold that position, it's not, it doesn't end up being really useful. What ends up being a lot better actually is just having lots of ships and then just spreading them out to hit all five. And so wherever they engage you, like I sacrifice two points, you hold that objective, but then I've gained four points from getting all four of the other ones. Right. Right. And I'm still engaging in that, that section. So like, you can't just like come at me, like you need to hard engage one or whatever. So, um, that ends up being a great strategy uh with you if like highly maneuverable, very high agility ships um but then in general uh typically this is the one that's forces end up splitting off a lot because you can hold two objectives or, or a couple of objectives in one and a couple of objectives in the other and then the opponent also mm-hmm. splits off their forces and engages because realistically
1: um it's like a bunch of little small fights one on one
0: yeah a bunch of little small skirmishes maybe there's one main engagement in the center as as forces have to move because the other thing that you I, I don't know if you caught on was um their ships can't stop very easily, right?
1: So Oh yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, you're circling them in some way. So it's it's yeah, every turn it's dynamic. Who's controlling yeah. what? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Exactly. So so because you can't hold a position very easily, uh you know, there tends to be a flow of objectives that tend to end up meeting in some sort of engage because the flow usually mm-hmm. ends up in the center objective where people have to engage or like, you know, two paths right. end up converging or they get close enough that engagements naturally happen. One of the teams will yeah. turn off, turn off. past
1: the it. other or whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then be like, oh, well, I can score points. I can get free shots off and potentially do damage. And that's worth more because also you got to remember. The more you remove in the early game the more difficult it is to earn points in the late game for the opponent Mm -hmm. right so there's like so it's so even like though like you know you might be thinking oh i want to take objectives as my primary focus if you don't engage and they get to engage you you will lose late game because you just can't generate enough points in the late game
1: right you don't have enough things to hold all the objectives yeah that's right right of all the ones that you describe um this one is the most similar to a format that I play for Battletech
2: mm-hmm.
1: when I have more people than can reasonably play 1v1 games. Yeah. Battletech is a great game that scales, Alpha Strike specifically, but works for Classic as well, um, is a great game to pool everybody's forces onto one map and play a larger engagement. Nobody really takes Battletech super competitively or seriously, at least no one I've met. Right. People tend to treat it like a historical. um, Uh The format that we typically play for bigger games is like, if I've got six people, we play a 3v3 match where we have three central objectives. You control them with most point value, whatever whatever units you can park near them, score them for points. Uh, You don't play for points. You play them for... What Battletech calls Battlefield Support, which is a deck of bonus cards that are like free attacks. You have artillery and aircraft coming in to blow up ground forces.
0: This sounds like. So um... if I
1: control objectives, um, I just shoot you from a distance with everything else I got. This sounds like Battlefield, like the video game Battlefield. Very much so. Yeah, I think whoever came up with this pretty much cribbed it from that. Yeah, okay. Cool. But like it basically it. means that a game that would take a lot of like chip damage back and forth of like, oh, I chip your armor, oh, you chip my armor, oh, we're fighting over this building, is like, well, I control the building, and so now I have an airstrike with a template.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> and You want to you wanna control that building over there with a whole bunch of little guys? Okay, I just carpet bomb them to death. Right, right. And it makes a game that would take a long time to chew through armor a lot faster, because now, if I'm actually playing the game and engaging, and not just sitting in the back rank and, like, yeah. shooting in direct fire or whatever... Yeah. game game moves forward yeah which is a problem with a game that isn't based around scenario play by default yes
0: yeah absolutely okay so now you've seen all four scenarios um tournament mm-hmm. play will basically randomly pick one until all four are exhausted
1: and then the and then keep going and reset and again do all four so everyone in a given round everyone plays the same scenario from a competitive standpoint yeah, the whole group the whole the whole field yeah, yeah plays the scenario so that's cool i like that yeah. um, What do you think? Uh, yeah. That actually... If not for the challenges of like, A, finding time to play X-Wing, and B, the learning curve of like, what exists now? Um, <laughs> I would be excited to play that format. Cool. That sounds great. That sounds like a big improvement to X-Wing, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, like the change we never knew we wanted.
0: That's exactly how I feel about the 2.5 is that well okay that's not true i yeah. literally have been advocating for scenarios since i started playing in when 1.0 i was like man this game would be so much yeah. better if there were some sort of scenarios in here i think the biggest i, can see that. I think the biggest com- complaint about scenarios in the community other than like it be existing which there are some people who don't like that even though i think those people are crazy yeah um the biggest the biggest complaint and i think this is maybe true to an extent but probably not is that they're not more creative or more um x-wing thematic like they don't feel very star warsy right um you, you can't
1: you just you just can't if you want them to be so tightly competitively tuned that's just not possible yes. or rather when you figure out how to do that let me know and i will exploit the hell out of that with future games design. Yeah. please let me but know i, I don't need think to steal that, be done. that <laughs> my own games right <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah
0: so so there are some thoughts about like oh and sorry there is one other complete but this is minor which is that people Logistically, you would like a fifth scenario because um, a lot of tournaments are five mm-hmm. rounds, so it would be nice to not yep. repeat one. It would be nice to have five unique, different scenarios, right? Um, hmm. uh, and then, like theoretically, like if the the, the the true solution would be a fifth scenario that is also thematically like X Wing, right? <laughs> um, so and competitively like tuned. So like I don't know if that exists. Yeah, but... that's
1: hard. That's hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, uh one of my one of my favorites um it was a fan made are you familiar with the miniatures game mercs super indie from no i'm not okay not familiar tell me tell me the that. whole game is meant to be fu- it's it's futuristic soldiers in power armor it's meant to be sc- small scale squad on squad so you have five guys i have five guys they're not pointed i just have a squad of five mm-hmm. which five from my roster of ten i bring is just a design time choice mm-hmm. like Uh, I see what you reveal factions to each other and then you pick which five models you're fielding. Right. Um, Someone made a random scenario generator for it, which had asymmetrical objectives. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: one of my favorites that I have never seen done in another game is one of your models gets randomly selected to be a courier. He carries a package that he has to deliver to the opponent's deployment area. Okay that guy gets dead really fast. Sure. (laughs) But, but figuring out how to run your list where like that, you know, four guys lay down suppressing fire and distract the opposition while the fifth guy like sneaks his way up the field. Yeah. um, Is real fun. It's publicly known which guy is carrying the package as well, which I always felt was kind of a weirdness. Like it should be secret.
0: Right. Right.
1: Right. But it's an interesting scenario that might have some merit. Do you think like you'd secretly nominate one guy?
0: Yeah, do you think that do you think that asymmetrical scenarios could work in a competitive sense? Because I've heard lots of like lots of arguments
1: back and forth, but um... they're way better in a narrative sense. I don't I don't think you would want them for a competitive game, right? right. At least not a competitive game as small scale and as tightly balanced as something like X Wing or something where you have so few models. I yeah. think they can work well in a competitive game where you're like, I have a whole army. Right. And they can reasonably bring to bear enough firepower for whatever section of the map they're dealing with, right? Right. Like right. scale is really important. Right. Yeah. Um, the courier.
0: Object- okay. So here's the last question. Because we're getting to 210, 215. Mm-hmm. So we're getting up there. And like, I honestly, okay. I would like to keep going, but I also want to be constant of your time. Um, so the last yeah. question I'm going to have for the podcast, a uh, main question is. If you were to design a fifth scenario as a game designer, what would you like to what would you like to see there? Where would I look? Or would you have an example of something that you think would be a good fit?
2: Mm-hmm. And hopefully
0: we hear AMG just listens to this podcast and then they
1: can just steal it. <laughs> yeah. I think so one of the places I always look for games like this is scenarios where one unit is special for some reason courier is a great example this Mm -hmm. guy is he's got the mission payload he's now that unit is now disproportionately valuable yes um it it's is he disproportionately valuable because i have to kill him or have to surround him or have to put him in a certain spot whatever that is Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um i think that is not appropriate for a game like x-wing because of the number of units that each side can field okay if I make one unit that's super, whatever is important in some way, and it's half my list versus it's one of eight models, mm-hmm. that's radically different. And I think that that experience is not consistent enough for something you'd want for high level competitive play.
2: Sure.
0: Can I? So as much as
1: I'm like that would be a great variety, I don't know if that's appropriate okay. for a game with such list diversity.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to support you in your in this this scenario and tell you a couple of things. Yes, and. First of all, <laughs> average list size in X Wing Two Point Five currently is five ships. Okay. So, so theoretically, if like the average is mostly five and sometimes four, you could make one. No ship. one's
1: playing. There's no. Sh- there's no three ship build that is anyone's doing. There's. So, they are so rare. Uh, they are. Really? They are very rare.
0: There's like one archetype right now that does three ships that is like kind of viable. Um,
1: but, and I guess the scenarios being as they are really encourage you to have more models to do stuff because if it's three guys it's a very non-engaged kind of strategy they're all too fragile they need to be assassins
0: or they're very very chunky they need to stay together because like you know they need to support each other Mm -hmm. as they fire through so it basically moves as one block one large block usually if well almost you don't have the flexibility
1: to do the scenarios
0: yeah if it's a three ship list it's almost always like two large bases because like first of all anything that is going to be like seven points worth is going to be a large base or some sort of hero ship okay right it can't be it can't yep. be less than that right so they're always going to be big chunky chunky boys right which means that yeah they'll yep. have the area coverage but yeah generally they're very tough and difficult to dislodge anyways right because they've got to survive against five six mm-hmm. seven ship lists right um
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. heavy use of reinforced or whatever
0: yes or all the shields all the shields or something like boba fett where it's like yeah i can just eat a ton of like shots and not take any damage because i've got force and re-rolls and like you know uh okay right so like usually like i mean there's different definitely exceptions to this but in general if you're designing a 3 ship list the three ships can survive very very well right um so that's number one that could potentially help with something like this right um the second yep. thing is that uh here's the second yes and is like we can also make it so that potentially it would be that um that like you know the the ships are like if it's like so it's like, like hidden, like one of the ship is more valuable, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um even if there is a more value and if the opponent gets to, sorry, if the player gets to choose, right, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of mind game tactics that go into it. it's like, oh well, surely you wouldn't put it on your most valuable ship and it could be something that's like the courier's like you know it's three bonus points or something like that right if you kill it well
1: yeah none of these scenarios have hidden information either right the existing four no there's no hidden information
0: there's no hidden information right so so this could be one of them that's like hidden information that could be potentially very useful also like the idea of something that is specifically tied so there is an epic one of the last epic scenarios that they put out had uh, Sabine Wren with the dark saber. And I think this is like maybe the like one of the most interesting like design mechanics in the game, um, which is so the person with the dark saber earns bonus victory points if they own it. But if you shoot, the, if you, mm-hmm. you kill the ship or you shoot the ship or whatever, there are conditions that let you take the dark saber onto your ship. Sure. So it's like you know um, the idea that like uh, if I take it, then uh, I get the bonus points now right so like mm-hmm. the courier if the yep. courier stays alive towards the end of the game maybe the courier earns bonus points but if the courier gets shot or like gets destroyed and then they get they get it like it's like a bounty almost that gets put on the ship and then mm-hmm. you can yeah. you have the opportunity to recover those points
1: yeah i think i think the most thematic space that hasn't been tapped for this is probably some kind of hidden information with bounty hunting like yes. i mark i secretly mark one of your ships and that ship is worth double if i destroy it um or the reverse is possible where like one of my ships is whatever my, my ace or my, my bounty hunter ship and he scores extra points for ships. He destroys.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: And, and you don't know which one until the end of the game. So like, I'm, I'm going to destroy your stuff, but I really care about who gets the kill shot on my team. And that scores me extra. And I reveal it later. Oh,
0: Oh, and that trouble, trouble with this information, right? like it'll end up getting telegraphed as you play because suddenly it's like, well, why am I avoiding shooting with this guy at this guy? It's because I really want this guy to get the kill, right?
1: So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. and that's kind of cool because you can do some fun mind games there. Um, It's a little bit problematic in that you can't have the game end early if Mm -hmm. the benefit is bonus points because they're not public. Right. So I will say this, like the four scenarios, yeah, they're really samey, but they're really samey because they have... To work
0: within this construct a
1: very specific design Bible yeah that they don't deviate from yes yeah it's 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 the bare minimum variety we can do that still provides a consistent experience and it's a tight it's a tricky line to walk mm-hmm. like we in in Japan and my tactics we very clearly set out to be like these asymmetrical player objectives are like a fun casual format for variety they are not intended to be competitive. Right. This, the rulebook has rules for a four-player variant where you all have an asymmetrical objective. Right. Okay. Crazy. I like it. So, like, most of them are, I deploy on an edge and then the objective is somewhere in the other half of the board. The board's a mm-hmm. square. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, you now have that in four directions. It's like Chinese checkers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're crisscrossing each other all over the field. Uh, yeah. Hidden information is good. Hmm. <laughs> I could also see an objective where there are a lot more objectives, like
2: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know, even 20 of them. Oh, god, it's more in the like 10 to t- 10 to 20 range of these tokens, and yeah. you get points for destroying them. Oh, okay. Or there's stockpiles of them and you just want to destroy everything. Right.
0: What about respawning objectives uh, instead of- Bonus points if they shoot back.
1: Oh. Mm, interesting. So now it's not even, I don't necessarily even care about fighting your list, except to possibly trip you up. Right. We are both working together to Pac man up all of these dots. Right, right, right. That's interesting. Um, by, by shooting at them. Yeah uh x-wing isn't really a game with range advantage like everything can shoot one two or three there's no there's still no range four weapon in standard play right that's epic only epic only yeah that's that's for the best snapships has all the things (laughs) that's crazy i think it caps at range four but range four is pretty rare and not very useful so right right um i did actually the funniest thing about snapships is because the models are so big and they're on such big bases right. um it's like playing x-wing on a on a 18 inch by 18 inch like play mat right um i describe it as x-wing in a a knife fight in a phone booth right it's like okay. you use you use the very edges of the map all the time you don't die if you touch the edge you like Star Fox like
0: oh the other side and turn
1: and come back i see no, not the other side. You just literally hit the edge and then tr- and then pivot. Oh, okay, okay, um, okay. So you can use the whole play area. It's not lethal. You get a small evasion penalty for for using the bouncing off the side of the board, but like, okay, it's it's a very different feel because you're not doing these like engagement pre-engagement stuff. Right. Oh, and in Snapships, terrain is your friend. You get bonuses when you overlap terrain. It's uh. opposite.
0: Yeah, yeah. Definitely that's different than than X-wing in X-wing. No,
1: it, it ends up it ends up feeling very oh, different and you I only forgot, get so the bonus. I
0: forgot to tell you the biggest the other big change cuz this is universally mm-hmm. like, liked so I didn't really mention it, but object, okay. uh sorry, obstacles are very different now in 2. Point, uh in 2.5. Um so okay, well this is this is the last thing. This is a, as a way to, to tell it out, okay? So mm-hmm. I yeah. I feel like you're going to like these, but this is the change in obstacles, okay? So now um when you go over a rock as long as you don't mm-hmm. land on it you can still take your action as normal presuming that you're able to take actions if you're not, oh. not. so you, okay so you can go over a rock and you can t- you like you can go past the rock fly over it and still take your normal action however uh rocks op- like asteroids do one damage mm-hmm. automatically and you roll 50 50 to take a second damage so you can take two damage off of a rock off of a rock Ooh, which is a okay. lot that's a lot Right? Yeah, that's dangerous. Right? So so you get your action, but you could potentially explode. <laughs> so a little bit more risk reward, right? Um Yeah. Uh Debris is now um hmm? automatic stress and you roll for damage. Yep. Uh if the damage okay. is a crit, you take a crit. If it's a regular damage, you take sure. a regular damage.
1: Um asteroids work that way as well. Crits are crits? No, no.
0: Asteroids is just straight two damage. Oh, asteroids can't crit you. Asteroids can't crit you, but they can do two damage, which is Ooh. you know arguably worse. Sure. Um, yeah. And then, and then gas clouds, which were an addition in 2.0, which were very bad mm-hmm. in 2.0 because they were extremely like NPE. But in in yeah. in 2.5, when you go over a gas cloud, you immediately get a strain token, and then you roll a dice. That's the one that reduces
1: your defense by one. That's right.
0: And then you, yeah. uh, and then you, you break all the locks on you. So no more locks, no more target locks on you, and you break all of your target locks. Um, Sure. And then you roll for ion, hit or hit, hit or hits like 50% chance for ion token. Interesting. And if you, and if you, if you hit a crit, you get three ion tokens, which means large base ships can also get ionized.
1: Yeah, And they're not persistent, right? A small base ship does a two, a two white forward and then clears all three ions
0: does a one does a one straight or one bank and uh and then oh tries. wow you can bank now while you're ionized you can Man, bank now while friendly. you're ionized because uh because ion is a lot more restrictive now uh um uh they changed they changed ionizing uh to give so the one bank is to give the player some control right because it's way uh-huh. easier to get it to perfectly tokens
1: telegraphed now
0: yeah it used to be extremely right. like it seemed it was very rare to get ionized in the game previously but now there's tons of ways to get ionized there's literally like special okay. munitions that do an ionized there's not just it's not just the ion torpedoes like ion torpedoes ion mm-hmm. turrets ion missiles are all there then there's mag pulse missiles then there are gas clouds then there are literally um bombs that you could drop on people that that ionize you as well right um okay. so there's like way more ways to get ionized and so like it's not yeah so problem.
1: having too many things that just yeah right Okay, man. It seems so much friendlier now. Like everything that was like a "this is the kiss of death and will make you lose the game" is now like well, there's now interesting choices. Is not just like I don't just lose. (laughs) Sure, I I mean probably probably lowers the skill floor. Like it's now easier to play at a modest skill level than it probably (laughs) was in first edition. Yes, I imagine the skill ceiling is the same as it ever was or higher because of the extra decision points yes why widened it right
0: yes i i think that's true i think that like uh when you consider all of the different factors of all of the di- now additional decision points that you need to make and understanding what like mm-hmm. weighing as a tech ta- as a tactics player in the actual match it is a way mu- yeah. it's a much more complex decision tree than when than previously in early versions of the game
1: um uh, i wonder if my ai opponents and heroes are still good uh they did the conversion, so I guess the answer is yes. I mean, <laughs> probably. I
0: wonder if they had to cheat them at all. I should. look. You know, the thing is, is that it, I would actually think that it's probably they like, naturally like kind of attuned to it because a Tory cluster had objectives, right? Like, so like yeah. so in a way, um, even though the opponent never really had objectives, it kind of did. Like, sorry, the, the Empire never mm-hmm. really had it. They kind of did. They they're still like they're tuned to fighting against players that did have objectives,
1: right? Yes, that's true. And they're very aggressive and relentless.
0: Right. So it probably still works fine. Um, So something to Mm -hmm. consider as well. Yeah. Holds up against the test of time.
1: Apparently. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I can see that.
2: Yeah.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to take this time to... Wrap up the podcast. I guess that we've been going for a while. I'm very happy with uh, having to have t- a chance to like properly talk with you for a while. Yeah, man.
1: Um, it's been nice to get to know you a little better.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so uh, I think uh, I'm just gonna do a quick wrap up, which is like for our listeners. I hope you had a great time listening to us talk. Uh, as I always say at the end of these podcasts, uh, the they release every Monday at uh, 7 a.m. and for Patreon, uh, it's a little bit earlier on Saturday evenings. Um, We've been doing, basically, we did the first season, and then we took a short break, and you know, now we're in the second season of the podcast, Uh, so there'll be a a, a bunch more of these. Uh, Thank you all for listening, and hope you have a good night. See ya.